podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on the Premier Networks on Sunday, March 1st, 2020. This is episode 1674. Enjoy. The Tech Guy Podcast comes to you from Twit's LastPass Studios. Stay in control when it comes to your company's access points and authentication. LastPass makes enterprise-level security simple. Check out lastpass.com slash twit to learn more. The Tech Guy is brought to you by Worldwide Technology. Worldwide Technology's Advanced Technology Center is like no other testing and research lab. With more than half a billion dollars of equipment, including solutions from key partners like VMware. And it's virtual, so you can access it 24-7. To learn more and get insights into all the ATC offers, go to WorldwideTechWWT.com slash twit. And by Cashfly. Give your users the seamless online experience they want. Power your site or app with Cashfly CDN and be 30% faster than the competition. Learn more at twit.cashfly.com. Is it time to do a show? <laughs> That's what I get for not paying attention. Hello, everybody. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. Time to talk about computers, the internet, home theater, digital photography, smartphones, smartwatches, and all that jazz. I had the wrong button pushed, and I was listening to some music instead of to you. How are you, everybody? Welcome to the show. We are uh, we are getting ready to talk to Sam the car man, Sam Abul Samad. He's our car guy, and we were, we we're talking in the chat room about... Uh, the coronavirus and its impact, I didn't even think of this, but its impact on cars, cars, uh, car manufacture, car sales. And he says, well, we'll talk a little bit in about half an hour about it. But he says uh, there could be an impact, not yet, but sometime in the near future. They did cancel this week's Geneva Motor Show. They've already canceled the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco saying, let's wait till summer. What do you say? And, of course, uh, the iPhone, we're expecting a new iPhone announcement at the end of this month. My happy March. March 1st today and March 31st, one month from now, supposedly, Apple will have an event and announce a new $400 iPhone. Except those iPhones are made where? In China, Shenzhen, China. Those factories were closed. They were closed first for Chinese New Year and then didn't reopen right away. I don't know if they're open yet. They had repurposed the Foxconn plant from smartphones to face masks. They're cranking them out. It shows you really, in a way, why Apple makes their phones in China. It's a very flexible, capable uh, factory. You know, the capabilities. Plus, many of the parts, really the final step, this Foxconn factory, is really an assembly step. Assemble and test. The parts all come from other factories in China. And that's somewhat true of some of the cars we drive. A lot of the parts come from China. Much of the consumer electronics we use, even if they're not assembled in China. My, I just ordered a Dell laptop. It's coming from City of Industry. I'm assuming that's its final assembly. But probably 99% of the parts come from factories in China, which are impacted by coronavirus. So we haven't yet seen the impact except on the stock market. And uh, unfortunately, some people who have gotten very sick uh, in the U.S. and around the world. But I think the uh, I think we're going to see something. I think something's going to happen. 
And uh, it may be, I heard somebody say, you know, go out and get that computer or that phone now because you may not be able to get it later. Cortana. Do you know Cortana? Who knows Cortana? If you use Windows, you might know. You might not. You might know that there is a voice assistant built into Windows called Cortana. There are some of us, foolish enough, we bought a Cortana device, a little tower that you can talk to, just like an Echo, except this one from Harman Kardon. It's called the Invoke. It's the only one ever made. I should save it as a uh, museum piece. It's not going to be much good anymore because according to Windows Central, Microsoft has announced that a new Cortana experience, I put that in air quotes, is on the way. And it's not going to do, it's not going to play music. It's, <laughs> it's not going to turn on your lights. It's not going to control your uh, microwave oven. Some consumer skills, Microsoft says, including music, connected home and third-party skills, will no longer be available in the updated Cortana experience in Windows 10. Basically, Cortana, which has been slowly hobbled month after month, year after year by Microsoft. I think they had high hopes. They wanted it to be the next Siri or Echo or maybe the next uh, Google Assistant. Realized it was a little too late for them to get into the game. And so they're now making it just a productivity tool. You could say, hey, Coco, open Windows Word or Microsoft Word or So the the new so it's un, it's unclear they're becoming a productivity based assistant. We're excited, says Microsoft. Of course they are. They're not going to say we're depressed at the failure of Cortana. No, they're we're excited about how these, how these updates to Cortana will help you stay on top of things, save time, and do your best work. Uh, if you have a speaker, Microsoft's clarified. Uh, that that invokes speaker, you can still play music. And if you use the Cortana app for iOS and Android, anybody? Anybody? <laughs> you already got Google Assistant and Siri. I don't know why you... Anyway, if you do, that'll work the same. It's just that the Cortana app on Windows 10 will be, uh, will be stripped down. Bye-bye, Cortana. We hardly knew ye. You might have heard of the big deal this week. Intuit... Folks that do uh, TurboTax, they used to do Quicken. They sold that off a while ago. They also uh, do a uh, actually a pretty nice app called Mint that kind of does all your budgeting automatically. Just spent $7 billion, their largest acquisition ever, for an app, a little thing called Credit Karma. Do you know Credit Karma? Maybe you've seen the ads for it. Kind of a cool app. You run it. it uh, it'll give you your uh, your credit score. I guess they make money by with credit card offers and other things. It's not $7 billion, though, let's be clear, for uh, all the money Credit Karma makes offering credit cards. No, <laughs> I don't think that's much. It's for the data. It's for the data. Credit Karma also has a free tax prep program, and, uh, and to it, obviously, competing with that with their paid program, TurboTax, but they say they'll keep the service free. And in fact, they probably wouldn't be able to get the deal through if they didn't. But really, according to Wired, the real key to the deal isn't the capabilities of Credit Karma or how much money they're going to make. They could never make $7 billion back from 
you know, offering credit cards. No, no, it's Credit Karma's data. Well, it's, it's actually really your data if you use Credit Karma. I do. That user data is, is that valuable. I like to talk about these acquisitions. We've seen others like it, where you go, really, it's worth that much money? Well, it is if you think about the data. What the, really the message is, your data is worth a lot of money to these companies. Credit Karma, Wired says, whose business is built around a free credit monitoring app, has more than 100 million users. And it's free, but in return, you give them your financial information, including behavioral and location data. The platform's algorithms then help lenders micro-target users with offers for credit cards, loans, and other financial products, and Credit Karma gets a cut when users sign up. There is no... This is... Uh, Wired's quoting a professor uh, at Tulane, an expert on financial technology, Kristen Johnson. She says, there's no business person on the planet who doesn't want to get access to consumer financial transaction details. That is a pot of gold, a $7 billion pot of gold. Do the math. There's 100 million users. That means each of them is worth 70 bucks. If you divide 7 billion by 100 million, 70 bucks. Your data, where you've been, what you do, your financial transactions, that's worth 70 bucks for each and every one of us to uh, intuit. This is why a number of privacy advocates are calling for better regulations. Uh, in fact, a way for us to control our own data and then sell it to these companies. So instead of the 70 bucks going to Credit Karma, could come some of it at least could come to you. The guy who created the World Wide Web, Tim Berners-Lee, has created a technology called Solid. He, want, he says, I want to fix what I made. I broke it. <laughs> I broke it. I broke the world by creating the World Wide Web. And then that's used by companies to track you and follow you and, and take your private data for free. Well, it's a trade. Facebook gives you something, right? And you, you, in return, you give them everything. Solid, the idea of Solid is... And I don't know how this would ever work, but it's worth a try, right? Somehow, magically, all your personal data, your location, what you buy, what sites you visit, what searches you make, is stored in a vault, your vault. And then you get to choose who gets it. Facebook says, well, we'd like to give you this wonderful free service, but in return, you need to give us access to this, 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 and this in your vault. And you can say, hmm, is that worth it? Yes. Gmail, Google's Gmail say, we'd love to give you free email, but in return, you need to give us this, this, and this in your vault. Instead of just taking it, it makes it explicit. I think it's an interesting idea. I'm, I, I was made more aware of it. I, I, I remember when Tim announced it, but uh, a, a, a guy I respect mightily, Bruce Schneier, who's a security guru, I bow down to him because he's, the, he's brilliant, has joined a company called Inrupt that is designed around solid, to, this gets complicated, to, to make this a reality, to build this thing. And it's great that Bruce Schneier is working for them because he is the king of security. He'll make it a secure vault. If his, if his name is on the, on the box, you know you can trust it. When will this happen? I don't know. Will it happen? Seems unlikely. 
Is it a good idea? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when you look at these deals like this Intuit buying Credit Karma for $7 billion, that's a lot of money. It's just an app. It's a lot of money. It's not the app. They're not, they're not buying the app. They're buying your data for 70 bucks a head. 100 million people, 70 bucks a head. That's worth $7 billion. And maybe, maybe instead, <laughs> that's just one company. How many other companies like Facebook and Google and every little app you install on your phone are collecting that kind of data? That's a lot of value you're giving away. Now, we get value from the Internet. I'm not saying that. I think I want the Internet and I want, I don't use Facebook, but I understand why people might want that I, or want Google services. You're, all that searching you're doing on Google, that's free. In return, you give them the information. Let's make that more explicit. Here's what I'll give you. Here's what information about me you get so that I can use your search. Let's make that explicit. Every, you don't go to the store and say, uh, excuse me, I'd like a pizza. And the guy says, fine, here it is for free. And meanwhile, he attaches a GPS onto your car. <laughs> Puts a homing beacon in your brain. But the pizza's free, folks. See, you want to know, what did I pay for that pizza? What am I giving them? That should be explicit. 8888-ASK-LEO uh, is the phone number. What do you think? Is that even possible? Could we? Is it too late? Is the closing the barn door after the horses escaped running out in the fields? 8888-ASK-LEO, the phone number. 888-827-5536. That's toll-free from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Outside that area, you still can call me, but you got to do it, uh, you got to do it, um, you know, with Skype out or something like that. Something, and, but it's a toll-free number, so it shouldn't cost you anything. 8888-ASK-LEO, the website. Everything I talk about is there, techguylabs.com. Please take advantage of that. We put it there for you. Every show, every day, every hour, every call, it's all up there. Free, no sign-up, techguylabs. See, I don't ask anything of you for that. That's free. Free, free. Well, we, I mean, there's little ads on it. But we serve the ads so that you don't have, uh, there's no, they're, they're not getting any information about you because we want to protect your privacy. I like it to be explicit. If I'm, a, if I'm going to steal information about you, I want that to be explicit. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. More of your calls coming up. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Leo. You want to talk about the vet? What do you got? Oh, you're going to talk about the Tesla. Yeah, the, uh, the NTSB hearing today. Yeah. And we can talk about China, too, if you want. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, yeah. Yeah. So I they told you to talk me out of the Mach E, but I think you no, think that's I, I a think, good I think, thing. Yeah, no, I, I think he was actually referring to a different Mustang, oh. this custom Mustang. Oh no, no, I'm not getting uh, hundred and forty thousand no, dollars you know, horsepower one. If I'm gonna get that I get a Tycon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't wanna I, I like it. The Mustang I ordered, the first edition sixty thousand. It's not too bad. Yeah. I'm trying to let Lisa talk me. Let, I'm trying to talk Lisa into letting me buy it instead of leasing it. She likes to lease, and I guess it makes sense, especially with batteries. Yeah, I mean, you know, no. yeah, I mean if, if you like it, you can always buy out the lease. I at can the buy end out of the it, lease so. at the end. Yeah, then maybe that's the best way to do it. Yeah, especially for something that's all new like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. That. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Kimmy, don't take no Schaffer. Kim Schaffer, the unbreakable phone angel. Hello, Kimmy. Good morning. How uh, are you? Good. How about you? Very well. Very well. 
We went all through February without nary a drop of rain. I know. And, you know, I don't like rain, but we need it. So maybe it could come, March could come in like a lion. And do they say that in the West Coast? I know we used to say it in New England. Comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. I've heard it before. Yeah. But probably from, you know. It's pretty lamby around here right now. (laughs) The cherry blossoms are all pink. It's beautiful. It's like I'm starting to plant my spring garden, but I'm sure that. Or my summer. Strawberry starts are uh, in the store now. You can start your strawberries. But we need some rain to water it so we don't have to. Mm. Mm. Uh, who should I start yeah. the show with today? How about, you know, our friend Air Show Rob, wants, Air Show Rob. Uh, wants to compliment iDrive, actually. Oh, he good. Had a very good experience with that. Okay. Thank you, Kim. Hello, Rob. Air Show Rob. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Why do they call you Air Show Rob? Because I'm the air show announcer guy that travels around the country saying, here he comes, there he goes, what the hell is that? <laughs> and do you do that for the Blue Angels, or which flight group do you do that for? Well, I do it for air shows all over the country. Oh, air shows could be anything. There. Yeah, it could yeah. be the guys at the Barnstormers, or, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, although I do coach the Blue Angels narrator every year, I was with him, and uh, just a little over a week ago, I was out with him in El Centro for their, their training and working with them. I family. love the Blue Angels. Man, is that dramatic. <sighs> it wow. is amazing. I have, I've flown with them twice, and when they say there's 18-inch wing, wingtip to canopy separation, they ain't kidding. That's scary. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, what can I do for you today? Well, it's not so much what I can do, what you can do for me. I just want to, I made the switch on your recommendation from that as those other guys to iDrive. Ah. And I got my Mac Pro and my studio working okay. And then, but my MacBook Air, for some reason, wasn't backing up right. And I looked around a little bit and finally put in a support request yesterday. Within two hours, I got an indication, hey, we'll get back to you. And when I got back from dinner... Uh, last night, there was a full-blown link with a step-by-step nice. spot-on remedy for my situation, and it is working great. It's a really nice deal. Oh, I'm so glad. They're a sponsor, of course. I just did their ad. But I, I, this yeah. is how I judge tech companies. Everything breaks. You, you know, you're going to have a bad computer or software that doesn't work. I measure them by how quickly they respond and fix the problem. That's really how you can measure. You know, if, are they responsive? Is their tech support good? And it sounds like they did a good job. I'm so glad. Yeah, it was really, really yeah. spectacular. Good. And so I got and and I got my MacBook Air. My wife's MacBook Air is now backing up this very moment. So it's it's all good. So thank I you. Thank Unsolicited. Yeah. We didn't ask him to call. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Totally unsolicited. Do you fly yourself? I do actually. I fly to about seventy five percent of the shows that oh, I do. Thanks. I'll be flying actually to Yuma. On the uh, 10th for my got a good life. Thank you, Airshow Rob. Uh, Sam Abel Samick coming up. Man, is this a full time gig for you? I work about half the year doing it. And I I also do that folk music thing in Scottsdale. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but it's, I work uh, this year, I've had 21 shows scheduled. Wow. That's a lot. That's like every other weekend. Wow. Yeah, and but it's I love what I do. It's really it's really a lot of fun. It's like you. I mean, you you get I'm sure you get energized stepping into the studio to do oh, your yeah. show every weekend, and I do as well. 
If you uh, enjoy your work, you are lucky because you know so many people have jobs they just they just have to do for to keep the family and the rent and and it's uh, you know that's life. But if you can find a job you enjoy doing, man, you are. I try to tell my kids that you are very yeah. very fortunate if you can do that. Like we never work a day in our lives. Yeah, right. Oh, it's work. Well, <laughs> I, don't, well, yeah. I, I don't. I don't actually think it's. Uh, I mean, it's not. It's work, but it's in work I enjoy. Let's put it that way. It's not digging ditches or roofing or you know. I mean, there's a lot of hard jobs. I. I would. I'm glad I don't have to do those. Yeah, my wife says you work really hard. I said, gee whiz, I can't imagine yeah. that. Yeah, my wife says the same thing because I'm up in the morning reading tech news. I mean, I that's you know I'm I'm on the computer most of the time trying to find stories and things to talk about. And she says, "Well, you work all the time." And I said, "No, it's not. I would do that. I probably would do that anyway. It'd be interesting uh, if I ever retire. It'd be interesting to see if I still get up in the morning and read the tech news. I think I will. I think I will. And I know I'll be messing around with computers. Yeah, I have taken up working on uh, expanding voiceover work. Good. And, uh, that's a. Uh, I've got one client I've had for over thirty years, but I'm trying to expand upon that. And I've got a good studio at home. Good gear. And, yeah, and I was thinking of that. doing that. I have a good friend, Jim Cutler, who does that, and he says, "Leo, when you're ready, tell me, and I'll we'll get you. We'll get you going." He does everything. You hear him all the time. ESPN, tune in everywhere. Oh my god! Yeah, he does all oh the radio god, stations. Really cool. Yeah, he's got a great voice. Yeah. It's it, uh, well as as do you, and I think well, that you, your your uh, your influence and what you've done, your your track record could carry you into VO work. That you could do a hit and run stuff and work when you want. And work kind of fun. He works his butt off. He he was he, he got sick. They set up the microphone in his sick bed because because he's got he's the got to record. He doesn't have a chance. He cannot take time off. So he's the hardest working guy I've ever seen. He's constantly, fortunately, has a home oh studio. But but yeah, he is. That's hard work. I'm not. I look at that and I go, Jim. I don't know if I could do that. You're very dedicated. He's very. He loves what he does. I guess you know. You've heard his well, voice yeah, a million I, times. You know. I I recognize the name, yeah. and I'm sure I would in a moment recognize it. But it's anyway. But um, well, uh, I was going to ask you about the just comment about uh, the golden ears thing that kind of Steve yeah. uh, got with alluding to yesterday. Yeah. Stephen St. Croix, do you remember Mix Magazine? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he rigged a golden ears test on a guy and exposed a rigged test yeah. about two years later in the magazine on yeah. the article. It was, pre, it was primo. Yeah. 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 All right. Got to go to Sam. Thank you. Uh, fly hey, safe, fly true. Right, Wilco, see ya. <laughs> see ya, bye. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the man, the myth, the legend, Sam Abul Samad. He is a principal research at Navigant Research. It does a great podcast all about automobiles at wheelbearings.media and joins us each week to talk cars. He's our car guy. Hi, Sam. Hello, Leo. How are you today? You're sitting in front of uh, any Tesla owner's worst nightmare. That's the Model X. I recognize it. That uh, Jim yeah. Huang, who was a uh, Apple engineer, loved his Model X. Uh, it drove itself while he was on autopilot. Drove itself into a barrier, which was missing the normal. You know, they usually have those buckets of water or sand. They had been in an accident a few weeks earlier, and it was missing those. And he got killed in his 
but Tesla burst into flames. This was a very famous accident about a year ago because there was some debate. Yeah, it was actually about, almost two years ago. Two now. years, yeah. Whether it was autopilot that did it. Well, the NTSB is meeting. Yeah. So uh, this past Tuesday, they uh, they had their meeting to discuss the final report on this accident. Um, so the National Transportation Safety Board, for those that aren't familiar with it, is a it's a government agency, um, and they investigate um, major transportation related accidents, uh, and that includes ground transportation, cars, trucks, uh, but also rail, aviation, marine. Um, and, you know, so they, what they do is, you know, they have a team of experts that they dispatch out to the scene of, of accidents like this, um, especially, and, you know, because of the number of car crashes, they don't, inv they don't investigate most of them, but when there's something that's particularly of interest in this case, because, uh, the vehicle may have been running on autopilot or was believed to have been running on autopilot they wanted they decided to investigate it and look into it further tesla and, blamed uh, him walt it was his name is walter huang tesla blamed yeah. him uh saying you know oh he screwed up he wasn't paying attention and in fact i think there was some evidence he was on his uh, phone playing a game yeah, uh, from from the uh, from the um, meeting this week, uh, at the end of the investigation, they have a a public hearing where they go through the the re results, they make recommendations and and conclusions, and um, the NTSB concluded that yes, uh, Walter Wong probably was uh, playing a game on his iPhone at the time, uh, but. Yeah, you know, they they had there was plenty of blame to go around for a lot of different parties in this particular crash. Um, you know, they they also put some of the blame on Tesla um, because uh, you know Tesla has not done. You know, two years ago they had uh, a previous an investigation of a prior crash, a 2016 crash that killed Joshua Brown. And at that time, NTSB recommended that Tesla incorporate features into autopilot. Actually, the, any automaker, including Tesla, should incorporate features that include more active driver monitor systems like the the um, the, the infrared camera that was in that Cadillac Super Cruise that we drove uh, a couple of years ago. Um, also, uh, you know, making sure that the vehicle that the systems can only operate in places where it's actually safe to operate. Um, and while other manufacturers did respond to NTSB and have incorporated those kinds of features, the only manufacturer that had been called out from that previous investigation that did not respond in any way was Tesla. Um, so some of the blame went to Tesla, but there's also blame on the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration because uh, NTSB is only an investigatory body. They, they can't actually set any regulations or do any enforcement. And NHTSA did not, you know, did not follow up on anything that was recommended from the prior investigation. And, you know, so they called out NHTSA for, for not not doing anything. And they also called, you know, one of the recommendations this time was to, uh, as part of uh, the new car assessment program, that's the crash test program that NHTSA does where they give out the, the star ratings, three, four, five star ratings for crash safety. They called on NHTSA to incorporate testing of uh, collision avoidance systems and driver assistance systems as part of that rating system, which NHTSA has not yet done. Um, and then, you know, they also called out um, the uh, the California um, the DMV. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the agency is. The California agency that's responsible for road infrastructure, because you know what they found from the investigation was that while autopilot. You know, and the fact that Walter Wong was not paying attention was the cause of the crash. 
um, you mentioned the you know the the barriers that they put on the end of the 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 highway medians. Um, you know they're called crash attenuators, and in some cases they're water filled barrels. In this case, that there's a steel structure that gets mounted on the end of it, and there had had been another crash just a few weeks before at the same location. And the attenuator, you know, which is designed to absorb some of the impact energy, was damaged. And rather than replace it entirely at the time, they cut out the damaged part and mounted the shorter attenuator back to the, the concrete barrier. And so it couldn't absorb the energy. And, you know, when when the car hit, uh, it, you know, it put at a lot 71 miles an hour. Yeah, it put a lot more energy into the vehicle, yeah. you know. Causing the fire, you know, and and ultimately All killing this Mr. Platt. Blame sharing isn't very helpful. Let me let me say what I think, which is Tesla oversells this by calling it autopilot. It's not autopilot; it's a driver assist. I think they do a pretty good job of reminding you constantly: you need to have your hands on the wheel and be paying attention. This is not self-driving. So I think uh, it's unfortunate, but I think uh, Walter, who even knew that the car had had trouble with that same barrier in the past, his wife had complained about it, uh, trusted the Tesla too much and took uh -huh. his eyes off the road and his hands off the wheel. There was no evidence of him braking or attempting to steer out of the accident. Of course, that if you look at the, the barrier... <laughs> It's an accident waiting to happen. It, oh, it's, yeah. It's hard to no, see no about it. even with human eyes. So, And it's sticking right out in the road. But, that you know, unfortunately, uh, I see a lot of that all the time as I drive around. And that's why you have to pay attention when you're driving down the road uh, to what you're doing. And you can't trust an autopilot to be an autopilot. So Tesla gets, I think, uh, a lot of blame for overselling the capability. And anybody they, they, who had, and I had a Model X just like this for years. <laughs> anybody who has a Tesla needs to remember it is not self-driving. You have right. to drive. And, and in fact, Robert Sumwalt, the chairman of the NTSB, in his opening remarks on Tuesday, you know, one he made the statement: "You cannot buy a self-driving car today. We're not there yet." Doesn't Sumwalt exist. Said. And yeah, I think and, I think everybody wants it to exist, and and Elon sells Teslas on that. You know, look how cool this is, and he's oversold mm -hmm. this for years. Uh, but as anybody's ever driven a Tesla with autopilot on, I've had it steer me in, toward barriers, but I'm paying attention and I steer it out of it. I I, I often had to disengage autopilot because it was doing something wrong. So I right. feel bad, Walter. I think had he was so proud of his Tesla. He loved it, and I think he'd recently got it, so he didn't perhaps fully understand the risks. Uh, and it's such a tragedy. It really is. Uh, and, yeah, there's a lot of blame to go around, but it's a tragedy. Yeah, it, 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 is, it is a tragedy. You know, and I just want to remind everybody that you know, whether you drive a Tesla or any other vehicle, even, even something like a Cadillac that has more driver monitoring systems, you're still responsible. So that means that you cannot take a nap. You cannot be playing games. You can't be watching no. a video or reading a book. Don't get in the back you know, seat. You, <laughs> you have to be paying attention to the road. Yes. And be ready to take control at any time. There are no so. self-driving cars yet. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely right. <laughs> Not that you can buy anyway. Um, yeah. and, and, and really the sad story is the crash that happened that broke the attenuator 11 days before Guy in a Toyota Prius, 75 miles an hour, he hit it. He survived for my, with minor injuries because of the attenuator. So had the attenuator been in place, I think Walter Wong would still be with us. It's a great tragedy. Very, very likely. Very sad. Yeah, yeah, it's, very, very sad. So, yeah. uh, and Tesla, folks. <laughs>
drive. Darn it. <laughs> you don't don't let the Tesla drive. You need to drive. I love and I will, you know, this next car I'm going to get, my Mustang Mach-E has adaptive cruise control. I love that lane keeping. I love all those features. But they don't. They're smart. Ford doesn't call it self-driving. It's not autopilot. It's assist. And that's how we should that's drive right. it. Sam Abel Samad, Navigant Researcher, Wheel Bearings Podcast at wheelbearings.media. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Talk to you next time. Drive safely. Drive safely. Oh, we didn't get to talk about China, but that's all right. It was this yeah. was important. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to make sure people, you know, remind people that you know this they they do need to pay attention, and uh, you know it's they're they're still the drivers. You know, the computers are not yet driving for us. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, very important. So um, I'm uh, I'm scheduled to be out there in three weeks uh, with the e-tron. Um, at the moment, that's still the plan. Uh, but we'll see if Nvidia cancels GTC. Uh, oh, they, so far, they they haven't yet. Yeah, they, but, yeah, the GDC was canceled. So maybe yeah. Uh, if you uh, could so not travel, we'll I wouldn't. We're going to Missouri next week. We're going to St. Louis for an event for WWT, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Ay, ay, ay. But I'll uh, I'll wash my hands a lot and all that stuff. Yep. Um, good. Well, I hope we can see you. We were I brought my car in for service to the Audi, and the guy said, uh, oh, "Your lease is running out. What are you going to get?" And I said, "A Mustang Mach-E." He said, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was bummed oh. about that. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't say, "Oh, don't get that" or anything like that. He just said, "Oh." <laughs> yeah. But, I'll be curious uh, what you think of the e-tron. Yeah, well, I've driven it before, um, you know, and so this will be the first time I've had a longer period with it, you know, more than just one day, uh, more than a few right. hours. So, um, you know, it's, I mean, it it drives very much like what you expect an Audi to drive, you know, it, well, except it's quiet. I love my quiet. Audi. Yeah, I love yeah. my Audi. Um, yeah, so I mean, you'll feel you'll feel very familiar. Let me know. I mean, it's you know, I I I can always I haven't bought the Mach-E yet. Let me know. I mean, uh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm excited about the Mach-E, but it's not, it's not a done deal. So, Although I have right. a feeling, I don't know, do you think this China thing will slow that down? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Because um, I, I don't think that there's a whole lot specific to this car that's coming from China, if anything. Um, you know, things like the batteries and so on are coming from LG Chem, and they're not being made in okay. China. They're, okay. being, they're coming from another plant. Uh, but we'll we'll see. I mean, it's it's too early to tell at this point. But uh, later this week, I'm actually going to uh, a briefing. Uh, there's going to be some big news from another automaker about their EV plans on Wednesday. So uh, keep your eyes open oh, for that. Oh, you can't say the name, huh? Uh, no, not yet. It's it's all under embargo until uh, till Wednesday afternoon. Mm -mm -mm. So by the time you get to the studio on Wednesday, the the news should be live. It's like twelve thirty twelve thirty p.m. Eastern on Wednesday. So, <laughs> well, I'm just hoping that because uh, after we after we saw the Maki, um, what's his name? I forgot his name. Said uh, said we're going to put you, uh, uh, Darren. Darren, that's it. Said we're going to put yes. you ahead of the line. So I'm crossing yep. my fingers. That. Yeah, and they, they should be starting production in August on those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, sometime sometime after that, uh, they should be available. Don't forget, Darren. <laughs> I, I will remind them. <laughs> Don't forget, Darren Palmer, Ford Global Directory for Battery Electric Vehicles. Don't forget. <laughs> I know he has a clipping service, and he's going to get this like on, oh, his yeah. de on his desk. Uh, Leo Laporte said, Don't forget, Darren Palmer. <laughs> yeah. 
We're going to St. Louis. I've been told not to call it St. Louis, <laughs> even though the movie was Meet Me in St. Louis. I won't call it St. Louis. We're going to St. Louis for the worldwide technology folks. We're going to do a panel on the future of cloud computing. That's open to WWT partners. So if you're a WWT partner, please inquire with your sales rep because we'd love to see you there. And as I mentioned the day before, we're going to go to the Trainwreck Saloon on uh, Wednesday, March 4th at 7.30 p.m., the portal uh well, there's two branches, the uh, portal one, and I'd love to uh, love to see you all there. Worldwide technology, we're main, one of the main reasons we're going out, I, can't, I really want to see this advanced technology center that they have. Ten years they've been building this. It's grown like crazy. There are, there's now half a billion dollars worth of enterprise gear there. Half a billion dollars from all the major OEMs and even little guys, too. They, of course, Dell EMC's there, and we... We have somebody, a Dell EMC uh, employee in our chat room. Uh, VMware is there. Microsoft, of course. And even the, you know, disruptors like Equinix, all in the Advanced Technology Center. They built this initially for the worldwide technology engineers to build pilots, proofs of concept, uh, so that they could show their customers what, you know, they'd be buying. They could find the right solutions for their customers. But I have to say, they've done something really special. And if you're a WWT customer, this is great. They're now letting you use the Advanced Technology Center. They have on-demand, schedulable labs in every kind of enterprise computing, like the VMware Cloud on AWS. I can show you how that works. You could set that up in the lab. <clears throat> Hundreds of labs representing the newest advances in network virtualization, software-defined data centers, security, uh, digital workspaces, multi-cloud architecture, automation. You know, if you're an enterprise, when you are relying on technology, it's got to work. It's got to work first time out. It's got to keep working. It's got to be robust. It's got it's got to help your clients, help you get the job done. And by going to WWT's Advanced Technology Center, you can make sure of that before you install it. And I think that's fantastic. Uh, this reduces concept times from months to uh, weeks. It, it increases the speed to market. They offer this lab as a service uh, within the ATC so you can perform your own programmatic testing, do the kinds of things their engineers do. But you don't have to go to St. Louis. It's virtual. So you can use the Advanced Technology Center anytime, anywhere, 24-7. It is a fantastic solution. If you want to try the latest and greatest VMware technologies, if if you're interested in, in trying before you're buying the, or just checking out how things interact, which is also really important, the ATC is for you. This new digital platform launched this past summer, uh, and it really creates a multiplier effect of knowledge and speed and agility anytime, anywhere around the world for you WWT customers. Not only do you get the hands-on labs, you get articles and case studies and all the tools you need to make a difference in the fast-paced world of enterprise computing. To learn more about Worldwide Tech and the Advanced Technology Center and become a member of their community, go to www.t.com slash twit, create an account, get access to the on-demand labs right away. WWT simplifies the complex. www.t.com slash twit. Worldwide Technology, delivering business and technology outcomes around the world. And we'll see you in St. Louis. Our panel is Thursday. <clears throat> if you can come to the meetup, uh, Wednesday night, 7.30 at the Trainwreck Saloon. We'll see you there. Uh, meet me in St. Louis, as they say. WWT.com slash twit. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Then I saw her face. 
8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. Terry, Long Beach, California. You're next. Hi, Terry. Hi, Leo. Um, I have a question regarding uh, online backups. Okay. Uh, my, my wife and I are fully invested in Apple products, and I use the iPhone Pro Max to edit 4K video mm-hmm. using a product called LumaFusion. Love LumaFusion. Good choice. Yeah. And uh, when I make changes, I the upload to um, my MacBook Pro is slow because my internet upload speed is only 10 megabits per second. And I was... Well, that's pretty fast. <laughs> that's actually pretty yeah. fast, yeah. Uh, so when you yeah. buy internet, they give you two numbers. Nobody pays attention to the second number. They say 100 megabits down, 2 megabits up. Up is what matters with the online backup. And no online backup, by the way, is going to use up all of what you've got because if it did, it would you would no longer be able to use the internet. Turns out, part of downloading or you know viewing web pages or getting email or anything you're doing taking data in from the internet requires uh, a packet to be sent out saying thank you got it the the act there's actually a number of packets that go out and then back and out and back so your upload is required for internet access even if you're not uploading anything at a time so if a if an online backup service said oh great i see 10 megabits that is a lot if i see 10 megabits i'm going to use all 10 you suddenly would have no internet access at all. Plus, of course, anything you wanted to upload, you wouldn't be able to upload. So most uh, online backups uh, are uh, what we the technical term literally is nice. They uh, they don't take up all of the bandwidth. If you have ten, they might take up a third, three at most. Okay. So, but ten is a lot. You, what did you think you had? Well, I used to have 100 megabits. That's down. No one has 100 up. Well, some people do. You might have. No, Verizon had 100. Oh, because you had fiber. Yeah, you had. But then, that's called symmetric. Yeah. Optical. Yeah. yeah, you had fiber uh, optics. Yeah. Verizon was so expensive. I switched to Spectrum, and I knew it was 10 megabits up, but I wanted to test it and see how well it worked. Now. When I have, Apple- just to put it in perspective, on my Comcast connection, I think I have 100 down and 8 up or 9 up or something like that. You, 10's not bad. Oh. But you're right. So that's one of the things that's great about fiber is many of the fiber providers offer what they call a symmetric connection, which is the download speed and the upload speed are the same. That is not yeah. at all common. Uh, that's That's a unique situation. In most cases... The, the download is a lot faster than the upload. But that's fine. So give me, give me the scenario again, because the idea well, is your ba- the way I would do this is you back up all your devices, your iPhone, for instance, connect with the best way to back up an iPhone is connect it with a cable to your Mac and use the finder to, to back it up and check the box that says encrypt and give it a password. Then you have a full encrypted backup of your phone on your Mac. Yeah. And then your Mac is the one that's backing up to the cloud. Yeah, well, actually, um, well, I was wondering when Apple is moving the date of the files from my iPhone to my MacBook Pro, is it also uploading the 
data to iDrive and, or Carbonite or whatever I'm using? No, it's... Are they doing that at the same time? Uh, no. Generally, are you, did, you put, did you put an online backup program on your phone? Uh, not on my phone. No. Uh, You'd have to have an app on your phone to do the backup. My Mac. Yeah, yeah. If it's on your Mac, it's backing up what's on your Mac. The way you get your phone backed up yeah. is by copying it to your Mac. And that, by the way, is the best way to do it. Apple does offer iCloud backup for your phone. And many people yeah. believe it's more convenient, and it is, I guess, to have your phone backing up to the cloud, to Apple's iCloud, all the time. Uh, and that would be directly to iCloud because you have iCloud on your phone. The drawback of that is that that data is not private. Uh, that data is a, is available to Apple and anybody who you know, any law enforcement or whoever, or a rogue employee or whatever. I have no secrets. Yeah. So if you don't care, if you don't care about that, then iCloud backup is easiest. It's not cheapest. Apple charges a, a little bit of a premium for their online backup. But it's seamless. It's, it's seamless. It's, That's right. It's convenient. It's also it's belt and suspenders because yeah. now, and you should never rely on just one service or one company or one hard drive for your backup. It's always good to diversify, just like with your stocks. You don't want to yeah. put all your eggs in one basket. So not a bad idea at all to back your, it's also great for photos because those are backed up instantly to the iCloud. And then if well, you get a new phone, it's a simple thing. You don't have to connect it to anything. You just say restore from iCloud. When I uh, am finished working on my MacBook Pro, I just close the lid and put it to sleep. Does uh, the upload to iDrive uh, continue after I put it to sleep? Yeah, it can. So there's uh, something your Mac has called PowerNap. And power if you nap. power nap, and if you go in the power nap settings, I can't remember if backup continues. I think it might. Um, it says what things continue. It continues to get email, continues to do things in the background. You can disable that for better battery life. Um, yeah. But so look in your uh, energy settings and your system preferences and see. Let me just, I'll look at mine. Uh, see what power nap. Uh, while sleeping, your Mac can back up using Time Machine. Okay, that's different. That's a local backup. And periodically check for new email, calendar, and other iCloud updates. It's not completely clear whether it does an iCloud backup. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess since it's not it's already got the Wi-Fi turned on and checking yeah. stuff on the internet, it might continue to do iCloud as well. That's power nap. You can okay. turn that off, but it but it's on by default. And it does use a little power because it's got the the Wi-Fi's turned on, the internet's on, you know, the it's doing stuff, its processors thinking, and all of that stuff. Power nap is kind of an interesting feature. I think it's probably a smart thing. But if you're getting poor battery life, do you leave your laptop plugged in or do you run off battery? It's usually plugged in. Well, then it doesn't matter. Then it doesn't matter. You should yeah. turn everything on because it's not using. It's only if you want to save battery life as you travel around things like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for the information. My pleasure. I Glad you asked. You know, this is the problem I have with Apple. Apple, their philosophy, and it's a reasonable philosophy, is it just works. It just works. They say that all the time. It just works. What they don't do is tell you how it works or whether it's working or what it's working. And people like me, and I, apparently people like you too, want to know. And it's reasonable. 
well, are you backing up now? What What is going on? Is How does it work? Where does it back up to? And as much as I cover Apple, I do two Apple podcasts, iOS Today and MacBreak Weekly. I am constantly reading up on Apple. I use Apple nonstop. I feel like I am as close to an Apple expert as you can get without working in Cupertino. And yet I still am often surprised to learn, oh, <laughs> oh, they're not encrypting that. Oh, they're backing up that. Oh, <laughs> Uh, it, you know, it, it, because Apple doesn't really explain, they just want, they, they, they're figuring, well, those details just confuse people. So just trust us. We'll just do it right. I want to know. I'm the kind of, I want to know. And I want to, I think people ought to know. I think you need to know. Well, is this, how is this being backed up? Is it being backed up? When is it being backed up? What's going on? This power nap thing is a perfect example. Does that include, uh, iCloud backups? There's probably a white paper somewhere I could read. I just asked my Apple expert friends. Well, hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. Yeah, time to talk computers, the internet, home theater, digital photography, smartphones, smart watches. You know the list. Anything with a chip in it. 8888 Ask Leo. Even your Teddy Ruxpin doll. 8888 Ask Leo. That's got a chip in it. These days, greeting cards have chips in them. Everything does. 8888 Ask Leo. Website is techguylabs.com. That's free, uh, easy to sign up. Techguylabs.com. Uh, let's go back to the phones. What do you say? Line three, Anthony Ventura, California. Hello, Anthony. Yeah, hello. How are you doing, Leo? I am great. How are you? Well, zippity doo dah. You know, I've been a broadcaster since 1979. Was that your tagline, uh, zippity doo dah, when you said when you came on? Hey, zippity doo dah, boys and girls. It's 58 degrees in the city. That's a good tagline. Well, it could be, used to be, used to be. But I just, I just have to be being a broadcaster since '79. It's funny because during um, commercial breaks, I could listen to you in the pre-fader network bus and i could hear you talking about getting uh, free cups of coffee and going to the bathroom and all that <laughs> i uh so we have um not only when you're on hold but there are people watching we do a live stream uh, video yeah. and audio uh from the studio uh you can watch that at twit.tv slash live and then we make a podcast of it so there's people and there and a lot of the people who are watching that are also in a chat room at irc.twit.tv so a lot of what i'm saying i'm actually talking to the chat room so I was asking, we have Dr. Mom, my personal physician. I say that jokingly because, you know, she's never even given me an exam. But she's in the chat room, Dr. Yeah. Mom. And I said, well, Dr. Mom, what would be the first symptoms of, uh, of COVID-19 if I were worried about that? And she said, a low-grade fever and malaise. And then she said, but you're probably not going to get it because you stay locked in a studio all day. Yep. Us broadcasters, we got it good. Do you still work in the radio? Uh, I had to kind of retire early because of a, believe it or not, an auditory injury. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's terrible. Well, yeah, no, but I'm getting treatment, so we'll, Good. we might be back. We might be back. Yeah, if you can't hear, it's hard to do radio if you can't hear very well. Well, yeah, I, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I'll tell you more about it someday over a nice cold one. Deal. Anyway. Deal. Uh, my question is this, um, I've been a Nokia, uh, a cell phone user since like the, the mid 90s okay we're, we're going back through oh yeah the, 
the the sixty ten brick, the sixty fifty yeah. flip, yeah. And then of course when Windows integrated with Win uh, with Nokia integrated with Windows, they came out with the eight thirty, and I currently have the fifteen twenty, which is still running on the eight point one. Uh, phone OS, which is Symbian. dead in the water. Yeah. It is just dead. Yeah. Deader than a doornail. Yeah. Deader than the guy driving the Tesla. But anyway. <laughs> sorry. That's a mean thing to say. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. but I know you're, it, it I know is. you're, I know the feeling. So Nokia, remember, yeah. Nokia got purchased by Microsoft in perhaps yeah. one of the worst uh, acquisitions in the history of technology. Uh, yeah. Microsoft eventually wrote them off for billions of dollars. But there are Nokia phones being made. They're being made by the literally the guys across the street, HMD. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're, they're using Nokia designs. There are still some phone people in Nokia. They're just, you know, and I, I think even eventually uh, the Microsoft lock-in will go away and they'll be able to make phones again if they want to. But right now they use an HMD company and they actually what's they did recently which i think is hysterical they made they started making the 3310 again yeah which is a yeah, classic they, they candy they bar phone you can and, and you could play snake yeah. on it yeah I like <laughs> anyway, but, but, but my, my my thing is, is when they moved to the 830 and the 1520 and introduced the windows platform i loved it i loved oh. it yeah but I, microsoft I, I, killed I, that they, that's gone they did. They, they, they shot it in the face. It, yep. was, it was a bloody mess. But here's here's my question. In doing some research, I, uh, I read a lot of research, and, and there was a couple guys on the Windows Central Review, guys that work for Windows, that's saying that, hey, it, it, they're dead in the water. If you really want to stay with that Windows platform or something close to it, we recommend going to a phone called the OnePlus 7 Pro. Yes, a very nice phone. But that's an Android device. It is an Android device, yep. and, they, and they said the good thing about it is you could load up all of Microsoft software, yep. services, yep. launcher, phone companion, Outlook, Edge, and, and a whole bunch of goodies. Look, nothing's going to give you what you loved, I'm going to guess, about Windows Phone. That live tile front page was fantastic. It was a beautifully designed operating system. I think it, it had it been... Uh, timing had been better, and Microsoft had done a better job with the carriers. It might have been the the king of smartphones. The problem yeah. is they came to the table late. Android and iOS very well established by the time Microsoft came up with this Windows Phone. Windows Phone, I think, 8 was the first decent one. And uh, th the real problem they had is developers had already chosen. Companies, banks, uh you know, startups all were either doing iOS or Android, and they didn't have room. I mean, even most of them only did one or the other. The ones that did both never had room for a third operating system, completely different. And in fact, the thing that really killed there were two things that killed Windows Phone. One is the carriers. If you went into a Verizon store and said, "I'd like to know more uh, about that uh, Nokia uh, Windows Phone," they'd, yeah. they'd steer you to an, to an Android device. They wouldn't. They wouldn't even show it to you. So that was problem one. They didn't get the carriers to come along. Problem two, they didn't get the developers to come along. And the kiss of death was when banks started saying, yeah, we're not going to make our app for the Windows platform. Yeah. Because if, yeah. if you can't do some critical things with a smartphone, like your banking, it just kills the platform. There was no Instagram eventually. Oh, they would, got blowtorched. They got blowtorched. Blowtorched. It was the end of the line. And I, I feel bad about it because I think, I agree with you. I loved my Windows phone. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my question is, I don't know how much knowledge you have of the OnePlus 7 Pro. I have one. But it, you do? Oh, yeah. It's a great phone. I love you. I love you. In, well, in a plutonic way, but I love, <laughs> I love you. I try to buy most of the really worthwhile yeah. Uh, phones, and if I don't have it, then uh, one of my colleagues. Uh, we have an Android show called All About Android. Will have it. I was right. I fell in love with the OnePlus Seven Pro. Okay, uh, okay. Now they're a thousand dollars if you yeah. buy them from from, from Amazon. Maybe a couple. Don't bucks, get it from Amazon. They're now selling for five hundred dollars. So here's the thing about OnePlus. OnePlus makes, in my opinion, yeah, first class feature phones. I'm, I'm sorry, first-class flagship phones at a significant discount. So if you want a Samsung, uh, if you want a Google or you want an Apple smartphone, you're going to spend around 1000 bucks. But yeah. OnePlus very intentionally keeps their price point below that. So a 7 Pro right now is $500. Okay. I think it's really, there's some things that they do that are really cool. For instance, there's no hole punch or notch. They have a little periscope for the selfie camera. It goes up and down. I think that's hysterical. Uh, it's got a very nice uh, 90 hertz display. Faster refresh rate meets smoother scrolling. Uh, I the, it's, the resolution, the screen is fully edge to edge and beautiful. And yeah. the thing that's most important to me, and this is a big issue, if you're going to get an Android phone, you want a company that's not going to muck with Android too much. OnePlus has their version of Android called Oxygen, which I think is as close to pure Android as you can get. Better than Samsung's version. Google, of course, makes a pure Android phone. Uh, and I think Google phones are good, but I think the OnePlus is better hardware. So if you're looking for a really good... Look, nothing, I acknowledge. I, I, I'm with you. I miss them. My, my Nokia 810, those are great phones. But uh, if you're looking for an Android phone that can compete... I think the OnePlus 7, is a, 7 Pro is a great choice. I would also add yeah. uh, that even though Microsoft makes a launcher and all the apps and stuff, it's never going to look... People think, oh, the Microsoft launcher must have those live tiles. No. no, no. Nothing's going to look like your Windows phone. But oh, I understand that. I understand yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, I understand. Now, would I be able to back up to the Microsoft OneDrive using the OnePlus 7 Pro? Yes. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I mean it's not a Windows phone, but uh, yeah. If they, now somebody's saying the OnePlus Seven Pro is out of stock uh, at OnePlus, I think that's because they have a new one coming up. Uh, look at the Seven T, which is much like their Seven Plus. That's uh, the Seven Pro. I kind of like yep. actually the, the 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 I really like the Seven Pro because it has the Periscope, but but the Seven T is is probably just as good. Might even be a little bit ex less expensive. That came out in uh, October, so that those are both fairly new phones. The most expensive one is they have this version called the the, the One Plus Seven Pro McLaren version. Oh, don't get the McLaren version. That's a five G oh. phone. Right. Okay. Uh, I don't think there's five G in Ventura. I went no. I went into the T-Mobile store because they're offering that McLaren version. And I said, um, great, I'd, 5G's here. Where can I get it? Not here. Can I get it in San Francisco? No. Where can I get it? They said, Ukiah. <laughs> Ukiah. Yeah. Up in the Redwoods, they've got one 5G That's transmitter. It. It's crazy. That's it. That's it. But but the good thing about the McLaren, it, it offers, what, 656 uh, uh, uh um, gigabytes or something you like don't, that. No, 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 no. Don't get the McLaren. That, you're, that's crazy. Unless okay. you... Well, you got money to burn. Go ahead. 
but you know, you're not going to get 5G. Check and make sure they don't require you to buy a 5G plan because that's even nuttier. You're spending money on 5G that you're not getting. 5G kills the battery. 5G is not ready for prime time. And T-Mobile's 5G is really just, I mean, it's 600 megahertz. So this is a long story, too. I, I don't know if I should embark into this. 5G is a marketing term. Yeah, it is. And T-Mobile is rolling out 5G over 600 megahertz. That's good because it travels farther, goes through walls. It's bad because it's not anywhere near the low latency and speed of millimeter wave 5G which is way far out. So a lot of what you hear about 5G, oh, 5G is going to be great, cars will be talking to each other, and blah, blah, all of that is down the road with millimeter wave. That's not what T-Mobile's offering right now. They're offering 600 megahertz. People who've used it, I can't because I'm not in Ukiah, but people yeah. who've used it say it's not noticeably faster. Okay, and, and lastly, I understand if I buy the interna international unlocked version, I could stick with my AT&T plan. That's that correct. True? Yeah, they don't lock these. Okay. You can get put any SIM in it. You can put your AT&T SIM in it, and, yeah. uh, and they won't know the difference. I'm, I highly recommend the OnePlus. These are great phones. Okay, okay. I just have to go break the bank and, and go <laughs> get that. Get a hammer to that piggy bank. Yeah. Collect okay. your pennies. Okay. All right. Well, well, from from one broadcaster to another, man, I really appreciate your show and uh, keep it up. And, <laughs> Notice uh, how his voice I, goes down an octave. I love when broadcasters get yeah. together. We go, "Hello, how are you? How are you doing?" Well, I'm working out of Buffalo now. Zippity doo dah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's great to talk to you. We'll have that cold one sometime soon, Anthony. Yeah, thank you. Take care, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Chris Marquardt, our photo guy, coming up in uh, just a little bit. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. So if summer were only here, I would be dancing in the street. Mike in Yakima, Washington. Hello, Mike. Thanks for hanging on. Leo Laporte here. Hello. Did I push the button? I didn't push the button. Let's let's push the button. Right Hello, now. Leo. There we go. Hello, Mike. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you do that very well, Mike. Why? Thank you. <laughs> you know, they uh, in the business we call that. Uh, I'm, and I apologize, puking, because you're you're constantly <laughs> pushing it out through your epiglottis. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> out through your epiglottis. Sounds like you'd injure yourself. Injure yourself. <laughs> what can I do for you, Michael? Well, I thought of this tagline, but after. The unbreakable bone angel, Kimmy Schmitter, yeah. uh, put me on hold. Yeah. My tagline for my call should be, talk me down, Leo. Get me off the ledge. Exactly. What's the matter, Mike? What are you about to do? <laughs> give up Wi-Fi. No, you can't give up Wi-Fi. It's the oh. greatest thing uh, since... Leo, you know the internet is a fad, don't you? Yeah, I know. I wish it were sometimes. I heard that someone broke the encryption on a widely oh, used yes. uh, I know what you're talking about. Wi-Fi chip in that's in routers and computers yeah. and phones and stuff. And yeah. how I'm paranoid to begin with. How how worried should I be? So first thing is yeah, I do need to talk you down. <laughs> first thing is being paranoid, not a good idea. Oh. So uh the first form of encryption on the Wi-Fi, WEP, was designed by the Wi-Fi Alliance without consulting any tech 
you know, crypto experts, and they just did it wrong from the scratch, and it was broken right away. So they went to WPA, uh, I think Wireless Protected Access, something like that. And now they're at YPA2. And they said, and for a long time they were right, there's no way to break into this until crack attacks. <laughs> uh, Someone on drugs? Yeah, crack attacks. Uh, in fact, you can go to crackattacks.com. It is a, a weakness in WPA2. Now, here's the problem. When you listen to these stories, and if you, we have a show called Security Now. Steve Gibson it does a great job of this. We've talked about crack K-R-A-C-K, <laughs> uh, on the show. And he really can explain this very well. So I'm going to try to uh, channel Steve in this. Often what happens, you hear about these, and when the mainstream media or even the tech media reports it, they use sensationalistic headlines like, Wi-Fi has been broken. They'll never use it again. And it will really scare you. So the first thing you have to understand is, this is, CRACK stands for Key Reinstallation Attack. It does work. There is a proof of concept. And I don't know how much patching has been done, but it is very hard to do. And it requires some time, and you need to be on the network. You need to be sitting there on the network trying stuff. By now, most routers have been patched against crack <laughs> so i don't i wouldn't worry too much about it um there is a kind of wi-fi if you think about it kind of is kind of crazy you're basically putting up a transmitter that transmits your internet access all throughout your house it doesn't go very far right. all throughout your house if somebody can get on your curb it's close enough that they can see it. You're, they're part of the broadcast. Now, that's why you use WPA2 and a password to say, no, you can't use this. If they are given enough time, and it takes a while, sitting on your curb, perhaps they can crack it. But it, but it is a difficult thing to do. It's going to take a sophisticated attack. And, they, and you'll know they're there because the black van's sitting right outside. So the answer to this is WPA3, uh, which isn't out yet, although a number of router manufacturers, um, uh, Eero, our, um, our sponsor Eero says, we're going to be able to do a, a software, firmware upgrade that will turn on WPA3. Any new router you get, I think you should check to see if it'll be WPA3 compatible. Okay. But honestly... This is a. I have not heard of any crack successful crack attacks. It's very hard to do. So, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Here's some things you can do, and I wish I could have said this on the radio show, but I ran out of time. So we're doing this right. on the podcast. Here's some things you can do. Uh, for one thing, the 2.4 gigahertz band is the most risky. Because the lower the frequency, the better it travels. It goes through walls. It goes outside of your house. Pretty much your 5G isn't available to the guy sitting in the black van on the curb. Uh, he, he's just, he can't see it because it's blocked by your walls. So if you're really paranoid, don't turn off the 2.4G. Turn off the 2.4... And just use 5G, the 5 gigahertz band. Gigahertz, okay. Yeah. I was... I was switching to 4G and 5G. Yeah, no, it's, I know it's confusing. Turn off the low band, 
the 2.4 gigahertz band and okay. just use 5 gigahertz. That does not propagate through walls. Now, what, and it, by the way, it works better because it also doesn't get congested from your neighbors. Well, part of the other thing is that the, the, one of the things this, this article that I saw said was that if you always use uh, secure connections like HTTPS, uh, it, it, yeah, that doesn't get them into the HTTPS. The risk yeah, isn't so. that. The risk isn't them snooping on what you're doing. Right. The risk is they have now access to your network, so they can attack individual devices. But there are other ways. Frankly, I, your Internet of Things devices... Which are, I don't have any. Those are more vulnerable because they're on the, you know, they can you can attack them from anywhere in the world, and then they can be a bridge into your network. Yeah, yeah. that's one good reason... To be really careful about what IoT devices you you use. So when they the the problem was would be uh, local, someone hanging outside my yeah. house, not someone cracking my router from across the no country. No. Okay. Uh, can I can I just say uh, how much fun it is to listen between? <laughs> I know you're the second person to say that. <laughs> Uh, by the way, did you ever get your wah-wah? <laughs> I got my wah-wah. I got my wah-wah right here, here. Yeah, I have uh, my my uh, wonderful engineers are supply me with ice water because they they don't want they want to keep their job. <laughs> they don't want Leo to stop talking. Sure, of course. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, a big fan from the screensavers days. Oh, nice. And, and oh, nice. Uh, that's all. I thank you. Thank you, for Mike. My call. Keep listening. It's a great question. Um, it, this was discovered a few years ago, and it is kind of surprising to me that WPA3 has not come out yet. I mean, it's out, but it's not, nobody's doing it yet. So I would, if you're really worried, ultimately that's the fix to use WPA3. Okay. Uh, if your firmware, and make sure your firmware is up to date. But yeah, remember, this is somebody who has to be in, within range of your Wi-Fi. I see. So, and most, by the way, most of these uh, problems with Wi-Fi require that. Somebody has to be sitting on your curb. And, you know, you're going to see them. Well, assuming I'm looking out the window. Right. It's more of a risk like at a coffee shop or somewhere. Okay. Because, um, well, first of all, most coffee shops are just open. They're not using encryption. But if they are using encryption, you know, you need a password to get into it. That may not be as secure as one might think because anybody in the coffee shop can attempt a crack attack. And they can sit there for a while to do it. It's a lot of work. He's back. He's back from Siberia. Sounds like the beginning of a joke. It is not. Chris Markward, our photo guy, in the middle of winter, went to Lake Baikal, the world's largest freshwater lake, for a photo safari. Hi, Chris. Hi, Leo. How are you today? Uh, you know one good thing about that? There probably is no coronavirus up there in the frozen wilds of Siberia. You know, while we were there, the Russians closed the borders to China. No, they yeah? wow. canceled all the visas, so wow. um, there were hardly any Chinese tourists around. Uh, yeah, so Russia is a pretty safe place at this point. I'm going to pull up uh, uh, some of these beautiful images that you took in the snowbound Siberia. Yeah, oh. which which I mean, it looks very cold, but it wasn't actually that bad. Um, you know, we're we're talking daytime temperatures of around minus ten Celsius, which is like like fifteen Fahrenheit, plus fifteen Fahrenheit. Nighttime temperatures could go below zero Fahrenheit, but it was a really dry cold there. So 
Uh, not that it's like heat. It's a, a really dry heat. It's also a really dry cold. See, I don't like dry, but I guess it wouldn't well, uh, go through your bones. If it's cold, it, trust me, if it's cold, you want dry, dry because if yeah. it's wet, cold, it's not fun. But yeah. um, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. I it have is, to say, uh, I see why you, looking at your pictures, I see why you go. It is very photogenic, all this ice. There is a lot of interesting stuff when it's when it's cold. I mean, the, the, I said it here before. Winter is the one season that looks very different from, from the three other seasons. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's differences between spring and summer and fall, but they're not that big. There might be some more um, leaves on the, on the trees. But in winter, things freeze, things get cold, things get go white. And that makes it interesting because that's when you can go hunt for like for for abstract shapes, for lines, for colors, for textures, for reflections, for geometry. Um, and and it's very different from from the rest. And that's kind of what what pulls me there. Um, Let me ask you, I've never asked you, how many people do you take on these? Uh, this one was a relatively small one. We were six people, um, and they're it, all pros or they're amateurs. No, no, or? no, 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 no. The, the, there are sometimes pros on the tours, but it's, it really varies. And sometimes even people who are no, not photographers come there, just uh, just because they know that we as photographers go to the best locations, to the places that are most fun to be around, that are most interesting to look at. So it's so, people like me who love yeah. taking pictures but aren't necessarily, <laughs> you know, we're avid amateurs. And and the thing I always am looking for is something new, something different, you know. And uh, that's, that's exactly this. what this is about. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, Do you give them some also, instruction as you're going to? Of course. Yeah. Of course, in in the field, that's that's what we do. We are there, and we look people over the shoulder and and uh, discuss how to compose something and what to look for. And it, it is really that that different a uh, look of things that you don't get anywhere else and and it's also what what you can see in the photos um that we're always trying to be at the right place at the right time in terms of the light because over the daytime the the light changes dramatically and you want that sunset over the lake at a specific spot because right. that's where you get the reflections or refractions of the light going over the eyes, reflecting off the eyes, coming through the eyes. Um, the eyes there is so clear that uh, in some places it acts like a, you know, like, like a fiber uh, where it transports the light. So light enters the eyes on one side and comes out on the other. So that is uh, that's, that's so kind cool. of what so makes beautiful. this interesting. And do you use a Canon 5D? I know you're a Canon uh, photographer. Do people yes. come with all kinds of cameras or are they all pro oh, yeah. style? Or? And yes, and it has really changed over the last, I would say, probably 10 years. Um, I think since Sony went into the mirrorless uh, camera market when they started with the R-Series, um, that really started something new and... Up to that point, uh, all the workshops, all the tours were mainly Canon and Nikon. And then after that, uh, now it's now it's Sony, it's Fuji, it's Olympus, it's Micro Four Thirds. It's different kind of sensors. Nice, it's different nice. kind of cameras. Yeah. So there's a there's a great variety now, which makes it a bit harder for me to sometimes help out when it comes to finding how the I don't know how manual white balance and some specifics of the cameras work. But 
the other good thing is now every camera manual is online, so you can find these things quickly. Oh, these shots. I love the little ice cubes floating on, so, on sticks. I, I, can, I, can, I can talk a bit about some, yeah, some of these things. Those, yeah. those little ice cubes are really interesting because what happens is, okay, so you would probably imagine a lake, a frozen lake being just a surface, just a flat plane of ice. Yeah. But that's not what it is. Um, this this is a big, big lake. Um, again, this is the, the biggest freshwater, liquid freshwater source on the planet. And so the the skin of ice on top, which is like three to five foot thick, which is plenty good to drive on, to walk on, um, that con- contracts and expands depending on the temperatures. And that means cracks form and new layers of ice form on top and then wind sometimes mm. gets in between those layers and flips them over. So you you end up with ice pieces of ice, like ice cubes on the lake. And sometimes when, when such an ice cube sits on the lake, and I'm really talking ice cube size, if that sits on the lake, uh, very clear ice, and just just it thaws a little bit underneath, so you end up with a little raised ice cube on a little stalk. It almost looks like an ice flower. It's so cute. That's, that's where you have to throw yourself on on your belly on the ice um, with a good down jacket. That's not a problem. And then just get close and take a photo because it looks so unreal it's and really so, neat. so Yeah, it's so um, beautiful. So, sometimes the ice is really shiny. Sometimes the ice is kind of has a has a has a thin dusting of snow on it that makes it more diffuse uh ice is also uh well so, some ice is not slippery at all i mean you would be surprised how grippy ice can be but then you walk a few steps and and all of a sudden it gets really slippery and that could be the difference between again just a, a light little coating of snow little ice crystals snow crystals on the ice which then act like a almost like a cushion that you slide on so is that a really yurt a, that was a yurt yeah there's <laughs> there's mongolian yurts on the ice they do ice fishing what? from inside the yurts they what? sit in the yurts in the well-heated yurts they have holes drilled in the ground uh, and wow. in the ice and then they sit there with a does this thaw oh. out in the summer or is it like this all year no, like but Lake Baikal in summer is plus forty Celsius, which is like in the really 90, hot. over the over nineties. It's really hot, and in the winter it's really cold, up to minus forty. So, it it really is a is is this interesting place. I like it more in winter, also because all the the brown bears are asleep in winter. <laughs> yeah, that's <No>. good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Chris, Chris's pictures are online uh, in his Flickr uh, portfolio, which is flickr.com slash nubui, N-U-B-U-I. He made a shortcut, though, T-F-T-T-F. That's his podcast tips from the top floor. T-F-T-T-F.com slash Baikalpix, B-A-I-K-A-L-P-I-C-S. So you can go there directly. And Man, they're beautiful shots, Chris. I'm so uh, just blown Thank away. Thank you so much. I, I, every time you talk about these great photo workshops i say i gotta go i gotta go discover the top is one of my favorites uh, yeah i might want to go to bhutan that's coming up uh, in uh, april that looks like uh, maybe more my more my speed but <laughs> <laughs> uh kyrgyz republic ethiopia uh you're gonna do baikal again i'm sure cappadocia is coming up uh, in the fall romania was last year you just do a lot of these i think it's so cool find out more at discover the top floor dot 
Com. And when we come back, I'm going to give you our uh, photo assignment for this month. Maybe we'll do a review in the next week or so, right? That sounds right. Okay. Thank you, Chris. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. <clears throat> Those, these just are stunning. Stunning. What a photographer. Man. That, well, the, the, that was an easy one this year around. was really easy. Oh. Well, it's just a lot of. Oh, a lot I of love offer. the doggy. I love the doggy. That's so the cute. Doggy. Oh, the doge. Let me go back one. Well, Flicker was in, fixed uh, its slideshow. It doesn't use flash anymore. Thank you, Smug Mug. <laughs> Thank you. Gorgeous stuff. Uh, so we have to plan. If you want me Do on record. Uh, another pre-recording, yeah, I will look be here. You're going to be gone <clears throat> to on the fifteenth, on the fifteenth and the twenty-second. So let's do two the week before March seventh. The eighth. I mean the eighth. Seventh, eighth. Yeah. Eighth. Next week. Does that Sunday. sound good to you? That sounds perfect. Okay, we'll do them next Sunday. We'll do two. All right. Time. I really wish I could go to the Bhutan. Um, let's do it. Well, if it's okay with you, uh, after the show, which is 2 p.m. Pacific. Sure. Okay. Sure. 2 p.m. Pacific. 2 p.m. Pacific. That's also the, no, it's, 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 no, 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 it's fine. That's, that's three weeks ahead of I our can do it next, I can do it this time week. shift. It's better to do no, it. No, no, let's, let's oh, do it I on see, the 8th. That's perfect. Yes, yeah, time. Daylight saving only. Uh, we'll we'll switch here on the 29th, but I guess you guys will be two weeks ahead of time uh, again yeah, we don't. on the 15th, right? We delay it. If you're listening to the Tech Guy podcast or any of our Twit podcasts, you're listening through Cashfly. Cashfly is our content delivery network, our CDN. Cashfly has been doing it since 1999. I've been using Cashfly for more than 10 years. Every single time you download one of our shows, you're downloading it from Cashfly. That means... Every show comes in as fast as possible from a server near you. And now, Cashfly's doing it even better with something brand new called 100% Cash Shield. So here's the deal. When, normally, the way a CDN works is you put your file, our podcast, on the Cashfly FTP server. And then, as it's requested all over the world, <clears throat> the, the regional server downloads it from the central office and keeps a copy there. They cache it. Get it? Cash fly. They cache it. And so most of the time when you're getting content, you're getting it from a server near you. But there's still that hit where it's downloading it the first time from the central server. Cashfly's 100% cash shield uh, will give you a drastic reduction in data transfer fees with Amazon's S3 and other cloud storage origins because your cache hit ratio goes to 100%. They're always getting the file from the cache, not from the original. It's a way of controlling your bandwidth costs thanks to Cashfly. And, man, it also means your customers are going to get their 4K video constantly, instantly, right on time on any device anywhere in the world. Your web pages load faster. Your apps load faster. Anything you store on Cashfly CDN is going to come in faster. And because Cashfly has so many servers, they can guarantee you a 100% SLA. So if you're worried about your cached items being evicted, evicted for large one-off requests, costing you a fortune in data transfer fees, uh, you got to try this. 100% cash shield. 
and cash flow is guaranteed availability. A very simple way to avoid it. It's next generation content delivery for today and tomorrow. And of course, a dedicated storage space just for you. Keep your data and content closer to your customers without traffic from other companies. You can purchase as much space as you want. Your data will always be fetched from 100% cash shield. You upload it once and you're done. Shielding reduces your origin spend by thousands a month, guaranteeing no cash misses. That's what gets you is the cash miss. The cash miss costs you. No cash misses with Cash Shield. It'll also remarkably improve your download speeds because there's no buffering. You're always getting it from a server right next to you. Guaranteed availability, the highest quality of service. It lets you easily and reliably scale your video streaming to reach global audiences of any size. That's why we use it. It's great for gaming, too, by the way. Podcasts, all digital downloads. Cashfly's global throughput performance dominance ensures that any cash misses are delivered five times faster than your origin. That's 100% cash shield. Right now, you can check it out, find out how much you'll save by getting a complimentary analysis of your current CDN bill and your usage trends. They're nice people, no pressure. They'll just, they'll just give you the facts at twit.cashfly.com. Take advantage of this. It's what we've used for years, and now it's even better. Twit.cashfly.com. Thank you, Cashfly, for keeping the podcast flowing. Twit.cashfly.com. Leo Laporte. The Tech Guy 8888 Ask Leo, the phone number. So every uh, month, Chris Marquardt, our photo guy, gives us an assignment. It's not a competition. It's just a kind of a way to get you out there and taking pictures. And it could be with anything. It doesn't have to be if with a fancy camera. It could be with your smartphone. And in fact, in this case, I think it might you might end up wanting to use a smartphone. Because the subject this, week, this month is kitten. <laughs> We're going through the alphabet. We're up to the letter K, kitten. So take a picture, and we're not going to say what that means. It could be, you know, kitten heels. I don't know. It doesn't have to be a kitty cat. In fact, he said it could be a, 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 a not a baby, but an older kitten <laughs> cat. So interpret it as you will. Take a picture illustrating the concept of kitten with anything you've got. Make it a good one because you can submit up to one a week. And since you only have one more week, we're going to do the assignment review next week. Now's the time. Tag it, uh, upload it to Flickr, which is uh, the photo sharing site we love to talk about and use. It's free, Flickr.com. When you're there, join the Tech Guy group. That's a big group. Uh, you'll know you're in the right place. There are probably other groups with similar names, but you'll know you're in the right place if you see a group with 13,000 people and 6,000 photos. It's a very active group on Flickr. Our uh, moderator, Renee Silverman, We'll welcome you to the group. You can submit a kitten picture. We've already got a, quite a few. And some of them are bigger kittens than others. Uh, to our photo pool. Tag it with the word, if you will, TG Kitten. All one word. TG for tech guy. Kitten for the subject. TG Kitten. And uh, then you can upload it to our uh, our Flickr group. And Chris is going to pick three kitty pictures <laughs> for uh, next week to review. That's your only reward. Uh, we mentioned your name on the show. And, you know, the glory. The glory that goes along with it. Kitten. Then we're going to see some fun pictures. I already see some really great kitty cat pictures. Really cute kittens. It's hard to make a bad picture of a kitty. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. On we go with the show to line two. Annette is in Tustin, California. Hello, Annette. Thanks for hanging on. 
No problem. Thanks for taking my call. All right. What can I do for you? Um, so my question is about upgrading from Windows 7 to Windows 10, which I know I need to do. Yes. I have a PC that I bought in 2014, which came with McAfee virus protection. And I want to get rid of that. Yes, you do. Windows, <laughs> Windows Defender. Uh, yeah, Windows 10 has its own antivirus built in, so you don't need a third party. But I was kind of wondering what the best order to do things was. Should well, the first I... thing to do is get rid of McAfee. <laughs> okay. Uh, and there's a number of reasons. One, I don't like it. Two, I don't like any antivirus. Three, uh, it could conceivably get in the way of this upgrade. So we just should uninstall it right now. The thing is, okay. the uninstall in the uh, programs and features control panel is probably not going to completely uninstall it. McAfee, like Norton, like many other antiviruses has on their website a real deletion tool. And you want to use that because you want all the fiddly bits gone. Sometimes people remove an antivirus and find they're still blocked from doing things uh, because the antivirus made lots of changes to their system. So uh, go to you can Google it, uh, uninstall McAfee, and uh, get it from McAfee.com. And that will, yeah. that will be a good start. Okay, I saw that. And um, yeah. I just didn't know if I should download the Windows... Um, install image first no no so now you've done that you, they call it by the way the mcpr tool the okay. mcafee something removal <laughs> i don't know what the p stands for um okay. do that first now you can google uh, or you know microsoft offers something called the windows media creation tool and if you Google that and you, you find the Microsoft site, and by the way, only get it from Microsoft, you'll see it's Download Windows 10 Disk Image is the name of that page. That's at Microsoft.com. You can download, and it says Select Edition. You're going to be downloading the November 2019 update uh, or version, um, which is what we call 1909. That's the latest uh, version. Actually, 2003 should be out soon, but get 1909. Uh, you can download that, and there are a number of ways to install with it. You can, uh, in some cases, just double-click it and install. I like to put it on a USB key. If you have an 8-gig USB key lying around, they have instructions there on how to create. That's what it means, media creation tool. That's how to create the install media. And that's going to be your installer. At that point, you, you can either double-click it or you run it from uh, reboot the machine and boot to the USB key. That means you have to go into the settings of the machine and say, boot the USB key. Don't boot the disk. This is the best way to install because Windows is not running from your hard drive at all. It's just a, a program running from the key. That's the installer. Run through the installer. It, at some point, it'll say, oh, I, I see you have Windows 7. Or you want to upgrade it? And you say, yes. The nice thing at this point is Microsoft, which did in the first year of Windows 10 offer this upgrade for free, never apparently never turned off that feature. They don't. They said they did. They don't tell anybody about this. But I think they've decided, well, better to have people running a secure OS than worrying about the amount of money we're not making. Because it's $139 a buck upgrade. It's a fairly expensive upgrade. But you're going to get it for free. Uh, as far as I can tell, nobody's ever said this doesn't work. And everybody says okay. it does if you just install Windows 10 on top of Windows 7. If your Windows 7 is authorized, and if you've been using it for years, obviously it is, uh, then what will happen is Windows 10 will get authorized. And you can tell by looking in the system control panel and seeing it says going to say, yes, this is an official copy of Windows 10. It's authorized for this user. Once you've done that, now that machine 
has what Microsoft calls an entitlement. Microsoft, in their database up there in Redmond, has your machine, and it says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and that gets Windows 10. She's, a, she's cool. This machine's cool. You, which means you can erase that drive if you should choose. I would recommend this because you've had Windows 7 for a long time. Did you upgrade Windows 7 to Windows 7 from Windows Vista or did you buy yeah, the machine? I the machine with, okay. with Windows 7. Okay. Yeah. So it's pretty clean. But I, I always like when you're doing a big upgrade like this, having a clean machine. But that's a pain because it means you need to back up your data, gather all the programs you've installed, serial numbers if you need them, all of that stuff. Uh, then you can wipe the drive and reinstall them. Because you've, ever, because you've been authorized as a Windows 10 user at that point, they're never going to ask you for a serial number. Ignore any requests or serial numbers. You don't need them. Okay. Now you got Windows 10. It means you have Defender. You actually have a clean install of Windows 10 if you're doing it that way. None of the, none of the weird stuff that came with the computer is going to be there. Um, sometimes people want that. If you got a Dell or a Lenovo, they have programs for doing updates from Dell or from Lenovo. You might want, or HP, you might want that. But um, you could try just running it on top of it and see if it works well. If it doesn't, then it's time to do a clean install. Okay, because I did back up all my data, and um, good before I wanted to do this install. Always do that. Just, yeah, I just wasn't quite sure where to get the uninstalling McAfee and the of things because I found Windows Defender on my Windows 7 PC. Yeah, they, they used to call it Security Essentials. Um, you, you, you could install it with Windows 7, but when you go to Windows 10, it just comes okay. with it. Okay. So you're going to, you could Google uninstall McAfee, and the very first thing you'll find is download the MCPR tool. That's the McAfee removal tool. And that just makes it clean. And that is something to get rid of before you try to install Windows 10 only be I mean if you want to download it first that's fine but the idea is you don't want any, any software on there that's going to cause uh, speed bumps and McAfee's one okay. that could okay very good I will uh, get that tool and uninstall and then do my now's the time to do that yeah because Windows 7 has problems and it's not going to be patched and I just really think it's worth uh, getting Windows 10 at this point well, now that I'm retired, I have time to do this. So yes. I'm doing it Isn't that sad? <laughs> <laughs> if I had a job, I wouldn't have time to do this. It is a little exactly. too much. Yeah. yeah. I, I think this is definitely worth doing. And I, you can totally do this. And then, you you know, I'll give you a gold star for your forehead. You're a geek now. Officially, okay. you're a geek, Annette. Thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's, no, it's a good thing. Thanks, Annette. <laughs> someday I'll I'll start saying and but don't install Windows install Linux. I get that's another that's a story for another day. Did I use a POE filter when I did Mocha? No. No. Do you ha if you have power over ethernet devices, you might want to. Do you have power over ethernet devices? Oh, look at these kitties. Look at these kitties. Oh my goodness. Wait a minute, let me go back and do the slideshow, the kitty slideshow. <gasps> that's not a kitty, that's a turtle. <laughs> oh, that's a cute kitty. Beware of the dog and the cat isn't trustworthy either. I love it. Oh, people are having fun with this. That's a piggy. <laughs> oh, thank you, everybody. I love your submissions. Really fun. Point of entry. Oh, that's a good idea. Not power over Ethernet. Yes, you definitely want that because the risk is you're putting your Internet on your cable. And, you know, truthfully, uh, 
if you're in a single family home, I don't think you have to worry because you've got filters, you know, at the uh, box. But it, I guess if you, the, here's the risk. You would need that if you were in an apartment where you have shared cable, then you definitely want it. So, um, yeah, condo, yeah, if other people are on the same cable, it just depends kind of, you know, if your cable company put a filter on it or not. They probably did, but, yeah, I would do whatever. Um, look it up and see what they recommend. That sounds like that's probably a good idea. I did not because we're in a single-family home. It's lunchtime. Time for some cheese. 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 <laughs> cheese. Cheese. Glorious cheese. Cheesy, cheesy cheese. Cheese. Imagine what would happen if I ate... This is part of the large box of cheese mix scent. <laughs> it all survived, mix, except the sauce. The sauce did not survive. But everything else did. I'm sorry, too, because I wanted to taste your sauce. Well, hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. Time to talk tech. Computers, the internet, you know, home theater, digital photography, your smartphones, your smartwatches. We're talking a lot about backup, the cloud, anything uh, with a chip in it. I guess the cloud doesn't have a chip in it. Well, it has a lot of chips in it. I don't know. You know, anything with tech. Let's just put it that way. 8888-ASK. Leo, that's the phone number, 888-827-5536. That's toll-free from anywhere in the U.S. Uh, or Canada or outside that area. You can still reach us. Just use Skype out or something like that. We uh, write everything down on the website. So if you hear something and, you know, you didn't write it down, you're driving, you don't want to write it down, that's fine. We keep it all for you. James DeRuvo, my scribe, is writing and uh, puts it up at techguylabs.com. And there is no sign-up. It's free. There's no charge for that. You can even leave comments if you want. In fact, I appreciate it if you do. You help us all out. We're all in this together, right? We have to help each other out. Techguylabs.com. Richard in Los Angeles is next. Hi, Richard. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello, Leo. Hello, Richard. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. I really need some help. Mm -mm. I grew up in Richmond, California, going to school in, uh, between 72 and 76. And bought my first Apple II there. Nice, nice. A wonderful being able to be a part of user groups. Yes, that's and kind of what I think we're doing, is a modern form of user group, you know? Yes, yeah. thank you very much for that, for all that you do in that regard. That's where I got all of my education with regards to computers. Right, you kind of had to. Because all you got with an Apple II is a baggie with some <laughs> Xerox instructions yeah. in it. That was about it. <laughs> it, was, it. It was, but even then, when I learned that I could do word processing instead of having to typewrite my papers oh, in yeah. high school, oh, yeah. that, was, that sold me. You bet. Anyway, I went on to Macintosh and uh, learned to do some of my own programming, mm -hmm. but it was always using some other tool. Uh, for example, I taught myself fourth dimension. Oh, fun. I remember that. Oh, I haven't heard that in ages. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was it was a wonderful database, 
that uh, allowed me to do some really complicated things. Uh, in fact, one of the uh, companies in uh, Fremont, uh, Gradeway Construction, mm-hmm. were doing all of their uh, scheduling using paper. And they ended up hiring me to uh, put that onto the computer. So I wrote a scheduling application for them. Perfect. would then print out their Perfect. schedule. I did a lot of database programming early on, too, uh, with DBase2, very similar. 4D yeah. was a pretty impressive program at the time. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Louis Bardet did a fantastic job mm-hmm. in having all of the tools to be able to do some real fancy things yep. uh, was very nice. I then went on to uh, do some multimedia programming using Macromedia Director. And another great choice that was the precursor to Flash. Yes. Yeah. And I taught myself lingo and and ended up lingo. writing. Yeah. This has been a great. This is a great trip down memory lane. <laughs> That's right. But but those base tools were very helpful for me to be able to do sophisticated things without having uh, formal right uh, language. You know, in a way for me, too, and I think a lot of people who started their journey with technology in the early days of personal computing, uh, we all learned it probably didn't learn well. My problem now is I don't have... Go ahead. I don't have those kinds of tools available to me anymore. Mm. The director is gone, and I can't do... It's much more professional. ...using 4D. Yeah. In fact... You know, the, one of the best tools ever designed for letting normal people write code was HyperCard on the early days of the Macintosh. Bill Atkinson's HyperCard was incredible and let you do amazing things. Um, yeah, and I don't know if there's anything quite that easy anymore. Yes. Well, my situation now is, is that I, when I did, what I did with Lingo and Director was a precursor to uh, eventually become a, a program that the churches use oh, nice. for worship, praise and worship, it's nice. called Media Shout. Wonderful. And I did that, worked on that, and uh, ended up, because of my wanting to do that with taking advantage of multiple screens, which the Macintosh had uh, in its laptops from day one, uh, to... Uh, Cause Microsoft to put dual screen capability into publishing. That's right. It was the easiest. Into PowerPoint. It was it was easier to do it on a Mac than anything else for a long time. Yeah. Yes. Well, anyway, I have another. I have an idea for an app on uh, iPad. I have since. Uh, I have a girlfriend who is a designer, and she. Uh, makes all kinds of flower arrangements and balloon arrangements and lots of different kinds of things like that. And I'm finding that I cannot figure out how to write an app easily and taking advantage. I want to take advantage of ARKit. I, I believe that my, the app that I want to do is an augmented reality app. Uh, and I, I need help in how do I learn to program the, the easiest or how do I, what kinds of tools can I get that I might be able to teach myself how to do that kind of thing again? So 
It's a great question. Uh, everybody wants to do apps these days. Apple would say, well, just uh, get yourself a Mac with Xcode, which is their free development platform. Perhaps learn Swift, which is their new language. And it's easy peasy, but it isn't. It's really like professional <laughs> development. Nothing like yeah. the easy-to-use tools that we found early on in personal computing. On the other side of it, there are a number of uh, applications kind of designed to make it easy to develop cross-platform mobile apps. Adobe has one called PhoneGap, which uh, I know a lot of people have developed for iOS with PhoneGap. Um, the advantage of this is, you you know, besides being it easier to, to create uh, an app, uh, it also would be cross-platform, so you'd have an, a market on uh, Android as well. Um, but but I th I think that you give up a little bit of something when you're using these cross-platform tools like PhoneGap. Um, they they're not as native. They're not as good. I feel like if you knew how to program, AR kit would be available. Oh yeah, it is. It is because the nice thing about Apple's kits is they provide a simple interface to use them. So there are lots of ways, lots of third-party tools that, like PhoneGap that would let you access those specialized features because, it, because Apple's done such a good job of making them accessible. The problem, if you've written software, which you have, you may say, well, I was using these tools. But if you were using Lingo, that's a real programming language. Uh, Fourth Dimension was, you know, a programming tool as much as a database program. So you, the concepts of programming are in your head. I wouldn't get too scared off by Xcode. One way to kind of start off, uh, at least to get a sense of it, there is a, something called the Swift Playground. And it's really intended for kids in schools. But honestly, I've used it, and it's great fun. And it's a great way to learn the basics of Swift, Apple's new programming language, which is a brilliant programming language. And that's available on iPad, but they've just made it available on Mac as well. Swift Playgrounds. And that would give you a good start and at least the syntax of Swift. And you can, the, the, the way the playgrounds are uh, created, Apple has a, a number of them that are fairly basic. You'll be able to whiz through those. But then other third parties can use them for teaching tools in Swift as well. And so it can get very sophisticated. So I would start by looking at Swift playgrounds. I think that real programming using the real tools is going to end up giving you a better result. You've got some spare time. This is a gr something you like doing. It's a fun hobby. I think the problem with going to the cross-platform tools, they hide a lot of complexity. If you have a problem, it's very hard to solve it because you're you're it's like you're programming inside a blanket. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to see uh what's going on. Um I like the idea of learning it natively. Uh, plus, you're going to make get a better app, in my opinion. But there are a, a number of cross-platform apps designed explicitly with, to make it kind of more simple for you to uh, to write a, an, an iOS app. Because a lot of people want to write an iOS, iOS app. This is this is uh, the the you know the big thing, the hot thing. This is where people think oh, I can make a lot of money on this. I wouldn't recommend coming to it from that point of view, but. Uh, Look at PhoneGap, uh, play with it a little bit. It's much more like the tools you're used to. But ultimately, I think you'd get a, a much better results uh, by by learning uh, Swift, Apple's native tool. It'd give you 
And you know what? You'd be more satisfied. You'd have a lot of fun. Try try the Swift Playgrounds. Once you go beyond that, there's lots of other ways uh, to learn. Absolutely. Our sh thanks for the call. Great question. Fun going down memory lane with you. I am a big fan of coding. I read a great blog post the other day that really helped me. You know, you've heard people say, oh, every kid in school should learn to code. And usually when they say that, the unspoken subtext is so they can get a job coding in the future. I read a blog post that said, you know, you shouldn't think of it like that. Any more than you should say learning how to cook is so you can become a chef. Most people, <laughs> most people who learn to code or cook won't become professionals in the field. But there's a great satisfaction, a lot of fun, a lot of value in learning how to cook for yourself and your family and your friends. I'm not going to be a professional chef, but I love learning to cook. I think there's a very close analogy between that and learning to code. If you're saying, I want to learn to code because it's fun, because it's interesting, because it keeps my mind active, it's a challenge, and maybe I can make something that's useful to myself and my friends, that's, I think, the better approach. And if you're a kid, learning to code gives you a lot of the benefits that, you know, sometimes kids say, why am I learning algebra? Am I, when am I going to ever use algebra? You know what? You're right. You're never going to use algebra in life. I have yet to do a quadratic equation on the radio, but... Learning math in school teaches you how to think, how to solve problems, teaches us a certain rigor that you will use throughout your life. Coding's the same thing. You probably won't be writing a lot of programs. You're not going to go to work for Microsoft or Apple or Adobe or Amazon or Google. But the discipline, the, the learning how to think, how to solve a problem, and that's just the raw satisfaction of writing a program that works. It's so much fun. So I think it's a great thing. Uh, to learn. If you wanted to do it right, I have a very kind of unusual point of view. I think that the best way to learn is to learn functional programming, a lisp or a scheme going back in time to the earliest days of computer coding, uh, because you're going to learn things right instead of kind of banging at it till it works, which is how most people code. So I generally recommend people if you really, especially kids, if you want to learn how to code, get the book HTDP, How to Design Programs. It's at htdp.org. It uses a programming language. By the way, it's free. It uses a programming language. It's also free called Racket. And you'll get a, a very nice tool that works on Macs, Windows, Linux, anywhere called Dr. Racket. That's a teaching tool for programming. You can write real programs with it, but it's also a teaching tool. So Dr. Racket and HTDP, and then uh, learn that, and then you can do anything else. It might take you six months. It might take you a year, uh, but you will be a proficient coder. That's if you really want to, if you wanted to do it right or maybe even get a job, that would be great. But everybody should learn to cook because it's fun. It's like that. It just doesn't mean you're going to be a pro. Maybe you have an app. Your girlfriend wants to do an app. You want to write it for her, maybe they'll be the case. I think it's a great idea. And I, I wish you luck, Richard. I think you're going to have a lot of fun. To me, it's my hobby. It's what I like to do. And I really enjoy it. And I recommend edx.org, which is a uh, online school, has a very good pair of programs for uh, learning how to design programs. They call it How to Code. It, Really highly recommended. It comes from the uh, University of British Columbia. It's a very good coast video, 
There's tests. It's free. You can do it for fun. Take your time at it. Uh, how to code uh, on edx.org. I'll put all three links to for the HTTP, Dr. Racket, and uh, edx on our show notes, techguylabs.com. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. More calls coming up. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ESK. Leo, we're doing a little meetup in St. Louis uh, coming up Wednesday. I'm going out to do a, a panel event for one of our sponsors, Worldwide Tech, uh, on Thursday. But the night before, we're going to be at the Trainwreck Saloon in Westport in St. Louis starting at 730. Come by, say hi. Uh, it's no host bar. I'm not going to pay for anything, but <laughs> I will be glad to shake your hand <clears throat> uh, and then use some hand sanitizer shortly after. Uh, but don't take that personally, please. That's the uh, Trainwreck Saloon in Westport. We'll put a link in the show notes if you want to. If you're in the St. Louis area on Wednesday, I'd love to see you. Uh, line four is Maria in Connecticut. Hi, Maria. Hello, Leo. I am a new listener, and I really called to thank. I I called to thank you so much. I started listening to you last week. Now there's five hours difference. Uh, no, three hours difference between myself and your station in California, and then there's five additional hours between. Connecticut and England, and the reason is, my brother had called me. Uh, as you can hear, I I'm born and raised in England, but I am an American citizen and love it here. But my brother uh, called me because he only had Windows Seven, and last week there was a gentleman that and uh, called in. Told, told you told him what to do, and yes. and it went through and the media tool. So I am listening to all of this. I immediately called my brother in England, told him to That's go on, marvelous. on the Microsoft website. And I said, look, Edwin, because it's over, it's almost 200 pounds in England. That's right. To convert. It is very, very expensive. So, And he's quite computer savvy. He, he really is. So I gave him verbally everything what to do, listening to what you are busy writing down. And I want to call and thank you because he called me. He said, oh, my gosh, Ginger, it works. <laughs> my nickname's Ginger. Ginger, thank you so much. It's so great to hear a happy ending. Congratulations. You are his tech guy. That's so cute. I love that, Ginger. <laughs> <laughs> he put it. He put it right on a DVD and sent it to his son, who's Marvelous. also needed it. Marvelous. I, I can't. If you were here, I'd give you such a hug. Oh, I wish you were here. <laughs> we will thank you so much. My pleasure, Maria. So and let me let me tell you. Uh, that we have a podcast too, so he can listen to the show. Even that's what he's doing. He's good. He's already called me this morning. <laughs> he's doing on Skype. Yeah. He, I guess, he can get it on Skype, and he says, oh, I, I, I am listening to a show every week. <laughs> Thank you so, for spreading the word to England. To the, yes. Yeah, that's yes. awesome. And it's going to get all around England. Let oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> oh, he's a, he's a big gossip, is he? <laughs> well, no, you know, through his own children and then, nice. and then some That's wonderful. friends, etc. That's wonderful. But I can't thank you enough. So, where, where in the UK are you from? You have a beautiful accent. Well, thank you very much. I was born and raised in, 
Would you believe I lived uh, six miles from Sherwood Forest? Oh, I've been there. Yes. And I've visited and the Great Oak in Sherwood Forest. And Robin yeah. Hood is real. Yes. So buried there. Yes. And um, I was educated. Actually, I went, you know, you were talking about cooking. Do you know I majored in culinary art? I loved it. Oh. Do you make figgy oh, yeah. pudding at Christmas? Oh, I do. I love I Christmas make, oh. pudding. Oh, with hard sauce. Oh. <gasps> yes, I make that very well. And English sausage rolls. Oh, I love sausage rolls. Yes. Oh. <laughs> well, I am pleased to meet you. I, you know, I went to school in Connecticut, so I'm a New Englander uh, originally. So I, I know the state fairly well. Yes, I heard you say that your mother is in Rhode Island. She's in Cranston, Rhode Island. Yeah. I love Rhode Island. Oh, I know no. very well. Yeah. Oh, Rhode Island, great place, uh, Leo. It really is. May, so, may I call you Ginger? Yes, you may call me Ginger. Thank you for a lovely call, Ginger. What a pleasure to meet you. What's your brother's name? Oh, Edwin. Edwin, that's right. Well, tell Edwin George Hamilton. Well, if Edwin listens to the podcast, he's going to hear his sister and my hello to Edward George Hamilton. And uh, thank you for uh, listening. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Can't thank you enough. Oh, you're welcome. You've Thanks, Maria. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs> Do I? Am I not the luckiest person in the world? I mean, isn't it nice that as part of my job, I get all those nice calls? Leo Laporte, the tech guy, full-time tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO, half an hour to go before the end of the show for the weekend. I'll be back next weekend and every weekend. And, of course, if you listen to the show, you can get uh, all the information from it. I put all those links at our website, techguylabs.com, techguylabs.com. You can um, also get audio and video of the show there. We are a podcast as well as a radio show. Uh, let's go to line three and Charles. Hello, Charles. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Ooh, good afternoon, Leo. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. And thank you for everything you all do on this show. I really do appreciate no. uh, everything you do with this show and the whole network and the way you help people. So thank you so much. We we are lucky uh, to get to do this. Now, I know when I say we, I don't just mean me, but the whole team here at our podcast network. We really love our jobs. So thank you. Yeah, that's great. Really shows. Hey, before I get to my question, I will uh, put a plug in uh, for one of your sponsors. Uh, about a year and a half ago, you, you're a big help on getting my Mac Mini and upgrade our old Epson uh printer to one of the EcoTank uh, printers and just want to say I absolutely love it. And I, I mentioned that because a lot, I know a lot of people have called recently and just want to say it's been a great printer for Nice. Me. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I, I'm very happy with my Epson. I've used Epson printers pretty much exclusively for about 40 years now, so I'm kind of all in on the old Epson. So what can I, I'm glad you're happy too. What can I do for you? So a quick question and kind of tied in a good lead into my question was uh, we got Mac Mini and kind of like what you guys talked about on Mac Mini or Mac Break Weekly, I held off a little bit on upgrading to Catalina and I upgraded with uh, version 15.1. dot mm -hmm. started getting this occasional issue uh, when I go to shut down. It's uh, give me this pop up that says the finder can't quit because an operation is still in progress on an iOS device. Mm -hmm. On an iOS device. 
Yeah. That's and interesting. It, well, it took me a few minutes to figure out what's going on until, I, as you already covered with Catalina, they got rid of iTunes and list your iOS. Yeah, the syncing, everything that you used to do in iTunes with your iPhone or your iPad is now a finder function. And so there's a menu uh, item up at the top of the screen. Uh, and when you open it up, uh, when you open up the Finder, you'll see an icon. If you've connected a phone or an iPad to your Macintosh, you'll see a, a, you know an icon for that device, and you can synchronize through that and all that. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting problem. Then, so what was going on? Was it still synchronizing? Yeah, it's usually it's a lot of times it's my wife's iPhone, but it's happened to all of our iOS devices. It's like the uh, sync process is hung. Oh, that's so, so annoying. <laughs> yeah, so there's two ways of working around it. Either I'll plug in the, the phone and reboot the phone a couple of times. Oh. I'll just put down the computer oh. and it'll, it'll start back up. But it's only when that particular, it's a hung sync process. So I went online to all the Apple discussion forums and it seemed like this has been a fairly common uh, problem going on for a number of years, but it didn't, didn't bite me until 15.1. So I'm just trying to see if maybe there is some weird setting somewhere that maybe I'm missing that I should check. I didn't know if you'd run into this particular error or not. Well, I haven't, but I rarely shut down my Mac. When I do shut it down, I've never seen this. Um, I'm going to guess it's because you're using Wi-Fi to connect to your Macintosh on the iPhone and the iPad. And so you could, of course, without connecting it or shutting it down, just disable that feature, um, the Wi-Fi sync. Usually it's when, if you plug in uh, one of the iPhones. Like oh, if you've got it physically plugged. Oh, so you have it physically connected by a cable. Yeah. Uh, well, well, it's... After she plugs in, and she'll disconnect it, and it's almost like it's the sink. The sink reason. has not quit yet. It's supposed to quit when you yeah. disconnect, and that sounds like right. a flaw. Um, you yeah. can on the iPad or the iPhone go into the music settings, and you'll see sync library. Um, I think maybe if you d you might try turning that off. Obviously, you want to keep it on, but maybe just turn it on when you're going to connect. Um, it does sound like something Apple will probably fix. It may not even be so widespread that they see it as a bug. It may be just, and this happens sometimes, things that run in the background have bugs or, or develop bugs, maybe not from the factory, but just over time something's gone wrong and they don't close out properly. Uh, right. the, when you do a shutdown, the finder goes out and says, finder is the you know, the kind of the user interface to the operating system goes out and says to all the devices, all the background processes, hey, we're shutting down, shut down and let me know. And then it waits. And we've seen this, you've yeah. seen it, I'm sure, where the finder is spinning and waiting and waiting. And maybe, a, you know, there's a dialogue somewhere that says, hey, you want to quit? And you go, oh, don't ask me, I told you to. But, but it won't yeah. shut down because it wants an orderly shutdown for everything running in the right. background. If uh, some process, in this case the sync process, doesn't shut down or doesn't do it in an orderly fashion, the, the finder's going to be hung. And that's why you get that error message. Um, I would, you know, feels like this is fixable. Apple apparently in the uh, beta for uh, Catalina that's about to come out, it's in the developer beta right now, does have an indicator on the menu bar showing where you are in the sync. So at least there's you know that something's going on. I would yeah. the other thing you might want to try is opening the there's a uh, um, activity monitor 
on the Macintosh. Right. You familiar with that? It's in your utilities yeah. folder. And yeah. that will show all the processes running in the background, including um, the sync process. I don't know exactly what it would be named, but that's another thing you could do when you're going to shut down is go into the activity monitor, find the sync process, and there's a kill button. Just kill it. Okay. You're not using it. Kill it. Uh, that's what the finder's supposed to do, but apparently is not able to do. It's getting hung up. None of these are good solutions long term, obviously. Uh, right. But I bet you the next Catalina update, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a fix. Did you? So you upgraded on top of older uh, versions of Mac OS? Right. Uh, it was a previous generation. Uh, wasn't that online? What was for Catalina? Sometimes uh, that can pro cause problems as well because uh, you know you might have. Uh, some old stub operating in the background, and you know that might be part of part of what's causing the problem. So, I, it, it, you, a clean install might fix this if you really wanted to go to a lot of trouble. I mean, if it's really annoying you, um, mm -hmm. I would just take a look at the activity monitor, look at the CPU tab, okay. and if you see something that looks kind of like a sync uh, or iTunes or music, it'll probably be named somewhat obviously you just can click it and kill it and uh and and that that's probably the just click that x in the upper right hand corner and that'll kill it and uh that's that's probably the best workaround for the time being do you shut it down all the time uh usually at, at night time just to help save you know an energy yeah that's smart i never shut mine down it's always running in the background so uh that's probably why i haven't run into this but uh yeah if you want to shut it down all the time it's kind of a pain to have to open activity monitor each time there might be some easier way to uh you know you could kill it from the command line um you might there might be some easy script you could use i wouldn't be surprised if somebody if this is a common problem somebody's written a script that would uh, go out and kill that process in the background once you know the name of the process you could probably find something to kill it that's a weird problem but these things happen don't they 8888 ask leo maybe you know if you do call me or if you're having this problem and you fixed it you can also go to our website techguylabs.com and uh, leave a comment there and uh Help a, help a buddy out. Help a friend out. Help Charles out. 8888-ASK-LEO, the phone number. Chat room is also available, irc.twit.tv. We always have people in there helping out. Uh, let's take a little tiny, teeny time out, and we will wrap things up. We will let Lady Laura go back to her music cave, and Kim Schaffer go back to her... Where I don't know where she goes <laughs> during the week. Uh, we'll let you go back to your uh, your duties. Last segment, Leo Laporte, the tech guy, right after this. Thank you so much, Lady Laura, our musical director, spinning the discs. Thank you, Kim Schaffer, for answering the phones. Most of all, thanks to you for helping me out by calling in. <laughs> so I don't have to talk for three hours. <laughs> I'm Leo Laporte, the tech guy, your tech guy. I'm glad we could get together. Uh, this week and every week. Now, let me see here. Going to line two, Joe in Garden Grove, California. Thanks for hanging on, Joe. Leo Laporte. Hey, thanks for uh, taking my call, Leo. Of course. It. Yeah. Um, well, I did a bonehead move here, and I, I clicked yes. I want to upgrade to Catalina. I never do that. 
I never do anything bonehead. All right. Okay. Yeah. Think through. So um, I have uh, CS5 loaded onto my computer. Oh, uh, yeah. I that, don't have the disk. That won't so work. I'm getting that thing, uh, that little notice saying that it needs to be updated, contact. Uh, it's it's not because you ha don't have the disk that's the problem. It's a 32-bit program. That's the problem. Yeah. Okay. So the big issue with going to Catalina and Apple's been telling people this for more than two years. Not you, but a developers, companies that make software. Look, we're not going to support 32-bit software with the next version of Mac OS. You've got to upgrade your software. And if you don't, you're going to not run. Now, here's the problem. You're not alone. A lot of people don't want to buy the Creative Cloud subscription to Adobe software. Mm -hmm. So they're using older versions of Photoshop. But Adobe wants you to upgrade. <laughs> so Adobe does have 64-bit versions of everything they do, but only if you subscribe to Creative Cloud. My question to you uh, is what are my options? Because I'm on their website now, and for what I would like, it would be the all apps, which is 20-plus uh, apps. It's $52.99 a month. Yeah. That's a little bit more than $600 a year. Yeah. But now, remember, Photoshop costs $700, so it's still kind of a good deal. Yeah. yeah. What do you really need, though? For instance, I do, I and I'm, I'm with you, and I know everybody hates this subscription thing. On the one hand, it's a pain for users, but on the other hand, you understand a software company wants to keep updating their software. What they used to do is charge you for every upgrade. That's why you're way back on CS5. You didn't buy those upgrades every year. So in a way, you, this has been going on for years. I use Lightroom primarily for my photography, and I use Photoshop. They have a Lightroom Photoshop bundle. They call it the photography bundle. That's $10 a month. $120 a year, that's less than the cost of Lightroom alone. Okay. So I think that's a good deal. Are you using Illustrator or Premiere or Audition? Are you using some of their other programs? Yeah, uh, primarily Photoshop, InDesign, Illustrator, yeah. uh, and uh, the Acrobat. Yeah. We'd also. Yeah. Um, See, <laughs> they kind of got you. Uh, yeah. You're using pro software. Now, the other option would be... At least Photoshop, they have Photoshop Elements. They have an inexpensive one-time purchase. They don't for InDesign, their desktop publishing. And uh, Acrobat, you can buy outright. So a couple of these things you can buy outright, but their model is pretty much subscription. Okay. And so your other alternative is to look at other programs that will do the same thing. Okay. But you're not going to get it from Adobe. <laughs> Unless you're willing to pay a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Now, there are people, uh, I think Scooter X in our chat room might be doing this, who run their older Photoshop versions. There's 32-bit under emulation. So you could get uh, an emulator like VMware Fusion, Parallels. Um, I, I don't know if, uh, if Oracle's uh, OneBox works, but... So I think it might not be updated either. But you could run a virtualization of, you know, an older, you know, of Yosemite with Photoshop in it. And that would actually run pretty well. These days, uh, VMs are, are fairly lightweight and work fairly well. But, uh, you know, I think, honestly, you might want to look at Aff Affinity. They have, uh, the Affinity folks make a very good photo program, Affinity Photo. They have a designer 
and a publisher that could probably take over for InDesign. Uh, you don't if you're making PDFs, uh, there are other PDF programs. I use Smile Software's PDF Pen Pro to make my PDFs. I like it better than Acrobat, to be honest. Uh, but there may be features only Acrobat can can support that uh, that uh, PDF Pen does not. So I'm not familiar with everything it does. But uh, so, in other words, start looking for alternatives. There's a great site everybody should know about called Alternative Two. It's at alternative2to.net. And what it is is crowdsourced software recommendations. You enter in the program you're trying to, re to replace, like InDesign, and it'll give you a list of other programs, similar programs with reviews. Uh, Affinity Publisher is one of them, but they also have Canva and Scribus. And uh, and these are crowdsourced, so there are people using it who would say, well, I yeah, I didn't want to pay for InDesign either, so I'm using Serif's Page Plus or whatever. That's another way to go with that is to go to alternative2.net and see if you can find something that will do the things you need to do for less. I, I completely sympathize. I, I You know, we buy a full package of uh, the Adobe Creative Suite for our editors because uh -huh. we use Premiere. It's very expensive. We have, I think, five or six seats. But that's Adobe's position as well. People use this for their work for professional reasons. So, you know, they should pay a lot of money for it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You you kind of got bit. And you would have to upgrade to Catalina eventually anyway. You don't want to be using old versions of the operating system. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And the compatibility issue later down the road, like I was thinking about uh, downgrading back to Yosemite and using my my 32-bit programs, you could, uh, you could, but it could cause conflict with people using newer versions, right? Uh, and I don't want that. Time moves, and, and, and digital time moves faster than normal time. I'm going to put a link from um, uh, the chat room in our show notes at TechGuyLabs.com. Uh, an article at Tidbits, which is a great Mac newsletter uh, by Glenn Fleischman, moving to Catalina, keep your 32-bit Mac apps running with Parallels, which is one of the virtual uh, machine programs that I mentioned. Uh, he can describe what he does to keep things like CS5 running. Great. Okay. I'll All right. TechGuyLabs.com. I'm sorry. Welcome to the future. <clears throat> it comes faster than you think in technology. See if we get another call in before the end of the day. Dirk, traveling across Colorado. Hello, Dirk. Oh, thank you, Leo. <laughs> thank you, Dirk. What can I do for you? Uh, I'm at my wit's end here. Uh-oh. Is that in Colorado, or have you gone on to uh, Nevada? Uh, no, I'm going the other way, across <laughs> Nebraska to New York. He's in Wits End, Nebraska. What what can I do to help? Um, I transferred over from a Galaxy 7 to an A50. And since I transferred over to this A50, I'm having a terrible problem with my email app. What do you use for email? Do you use Samsung's email or do you use something else? Well, whatever the email app is, it's standard on the phone. Yeah, that's Samsung's. Okay. Now, previously before when I've transferred from Galaxy to Galaxy, I've never had a problem. But this one here, for some reason or another, instead of going to AOL, which is my standard account, it goes to AIM. Uh. And I'm having a terrible 
problem trying to get rid of this AIM and keeping AOL. <laughs> yeah, I think what you I don't know exactly. I remember that I remember hearing that America Online was going to change how their email worked. That might be what's biting you. What you'll have to do is go into the settings for that mail app and make sure those settings are correct for AOL mail. You can Google uh, AOL mail server settings. If you do that, you'll get the exact settings, and you want to make sure those settings are correct. My guess is at roughly the same time you went from the S7 to the A50, uh, America Online changed how it does its email. They don't want to serve email anymore. They don't want to do it anymore. And, of course, uh, you want to make those changes. So ch I would Google those settings. I don't know them off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Good luck in your drive. I'm Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Have a great Geek Week, everybody. See you next time. Well, that's it for the Tech Guy Show for today. Thank you so much for being here. And don't forget, TWIT, T-W-I-T. It stands for This Week at Tech, and you'll find it at twit.tv, including the podcasts for this show. We talk about Windows on Windows Weekly, Macintosh on Mac Break Weekly, iPads, iPhones, Apple Watches on iOS Today, Security and Security Now. I mean, I can go on and on and on. And, of course, the big show every Sunday afternoon, This Week in Tech. You'll find it all at twit.tv. And I'll be back next week with another great Tech Guys show. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next time.